for The Daily Review, a podcast dedicated to reviews and discussion of TV, movies, and books. Look for us at Daily Review on Facebook and Twitter and dailyreview.com on the web. That's D-A-L-E-Y review.com. This is Paul. This is Caroline. And tonight we're here to discuss the first three, count them, three episodes of the fourth season of NBC's This Is Us. We're going to talk about Strangers, The Pool Part 2, and Unhinged. I liked how you said count them three. That makes me think you're going to go walk. Ah, uh, ah, uh, ah, uh, like the count. Three, three episodes. Ah, uh, ah, uh, ah, uh, like that. Nice. I like that. Yeah. So we're doing something a little bit different this time because of the way that This Is Us chunks out information. We thought, you know what? We could repackage it for you and help you sort of understand different characters and groupings and just talk about their progression through like several episodes. So may not always be three. We may do two next time. We may do five next time. However, it kind of looks to where there's an obvious kind of pause part in the story. And we felt like that this one, especially after the first one, um, we were like, you know what? We are really not comfortable just diving right in and talking about only the first one. Like, it's like we need more info. You know, there wasn't enough there to really sit here and talk to you guys about it. We really wanted more. It's a weird episode because it's the beginning of the fourth season, but in a lot of ways, it reminded me of the pilot in that it introduced a bunch of people we didn't know. And by the end of it, you knew how everybody was connected, but watching it, you're like, I'm watching stories about people I don't know, and I'm not sure how to invest in that. I agree. The only thing that I question is that given that this is season four and we have beloved characters and we have left them in somewhat of like cliff hangry kind of situations. Everyone was moving, making these big changes and all this stuff was happening that to come back and make us spend the entire first hour with people we didn't know at all. I think that's different than sitting down and watching a pilot where you're like, well, of course, I don't know these people. I just started this show. Right. You yeah. know, but if you're in the fourth season and you were like Jones in for some Pearsons and you're getting nada, I mean, the kind of backlash that we saw of people being like, am I watching the right show? Do I need to flip the channel? I'm confused. What's happening? I'm losing my mind. Like people were really not loving that. What did you think? Did you feel like I don't it this is awful, you guys, and we're just gonna be honest. A lot of parts of it, for as much as of course we love baby Jack, and of course there's parts to it that we really loved, because we didn't know who these people were until way at the end, we were very distractible during the episode, which is not really like us. We were like doing other things. I was like coming in out of the room. Like this is just not the way we handle watching shows we love. I don't know if I can speak to that exactly, except for, like I said, I wasn't sure who to invest in. I mean, obviously there was like a central character to each one of those little stories, but right. how much are we going to need to know Malik's dad, Cassidy's husband, those kinds of not even like secondary characters, like, like really auxiliary characters. So it turns out, at least through the first three episodes, not that much. <laughs> <laughs> From Malik's dad. That's funny. Okay, so you guys, we're going to chunk this out probably very differently than you guys might think of episodes one through three. But just hear us out. We're hoping that this actually like makes you guys think of things in maybe a little bit different way. So I'm going to lay it out for you. First, we're going to go through all, and I mean all, of the flashbacks. I know. I know. I know. Then we're going to do Kevin's whole storyline from one through three, Randall's family's whole storyline from one to three, and Kate, Toby, and Baby Jack's whole storyline one through three. Now that sounds like, holy shit, y'all have bit off a lot. And in some ways, yes, but in another way, because these stories, some of them only moved forward like, 
<laughs> in an entire episode, what we found is that like, no, like each of these really went like one page on our notebook paper. Right. Like it really wasn't nearly as far as we thought. Again, why we thought we could chunk these together. So Paulo, you said, please, Caroline, please, 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 Caroline, can we please do the flashbacks first? I, I don't when he remember begs like that. Begging. I just I have a real hard time quite you know, like pushing that. away. All right. <laughs> okay, so we're gonna go way back, Paul. We're gonna go way, way back to our man Jack. And by that, now I guess we gotta say Jack Sr. I don't know, because now we got baby Jack. Are we gonna call that man baby Jack the rest of his life? Um, yes. <laughs> Fine. Uh, grown-up Jack. Can I say grown-up Jack? I don't know, Jack Sr. And we have this entire storyline of him meeting Rebecca's parents. And more interestingly, how Miguel intricately weaves into the meeting of the parents' story. Miguel is the man who sells him the sports coat and tells him to tuck in the tag. Ah, yes. Which is one of those moments. So that he can return it later. Right. But that's one of those moments where I'm giving you my loving but critical eyebrow. Because really, I mean, okay, I appreciate the fact that we need to have people have these moments, right? But it gets a little Don Knotts, right? Where you make Miguel like work at his current work. And they also, he was also the salesman at the sports coat store. Like, I don't, it gets a little, didn't, you know, uh, didn't uh, Don Draper sell Roger Sterling a coat and yes. that's how they met? Yes. Yes, he did. Yes. But later, well, so I guess, is it the same? Well, I don't know because then Miguel later becomes boss of Jack. And then here we have Roger became boss of Don. I don't know. It's all flying around my head. <laughs> Bosses and how you meet your workers. I don't know. Maybe that's the storyline. This is us, Paul. The story of how the bosses meet their workers. Right. First, you got to sell a coat. Then... <laughs> There's a lot of coat sales involved. <laughs> right. All right. But let's get into this, Paul. So we have that whole scene. Have you ever purchased anything and uh, like article of clothing and tucked in a tag? Is that a thing that boys do? Nope. Okay. So it is a thing that ladies do because <laughs> a lot of times we wear like a dress for one occasion and a they tend to be extremely expensive. Like you guys with a sports coat, that's a little short-sighted because I mean, if he didn't own one, I mean, he's probably going to need a sports coat sometime the rest of his life. You know, mm. we know men, they wear the same sports coat for a decade, as long as it lasts, 20 years, what has you. Whereas like if I wear a lovely sequins evening gown, okay, I'm probably not going to wear that again. Right. People have already seen me in it. It's over. OK, the moment's passed. Right. Right. Now, I'm not saying that I have tucked you in. Got to rent the runway. Tags. But yes, this is why things like rent the runway, which they should sponsor us now, like have come to life because it's like just rent the dress for, you know, 30 bucks because we all know you're tucking in the tag and returning it anyway. So just be more legit about it. All right. We've got the sports coat, right? Mm. We're heading out to dinner. What do you think about Rebecca's mom and dad? They want the best for her, for their daughter, like any parent does. They have reservations about this kind of older guy came back from the war. They are, what do you call it, subconsciously insulting throughout the meal by saying things about the war that suggest, I don't know. It, They're it, kind of like being like casual and like a super little cavalier around it. it. Yeah. yeah. Like real, just like. We'll just chill, just like throwing out these things about soldiers and where they're not like, a real what are you war. Doing? I mean, I mean, shit. I mean, I don't know. 
how do you how do you get away with saying that in front of a soldier? It's crazy. I, I don't know. I think it's extremely cruel. So how how did you feel about the way that Jack handled it? And like, could you have done that if you were meeting a girl's parents for ostensibly the first time here? Could you like come back and like stand up and like say something to them or like no. No, what was no, you do? I'd either swallow it or say something uh, regrettable. The fact that he said something very calmly, but not in any kind of way that suggested like you might misinterpret his intentions, that he was standing firm about his opinion on this, that he was very calm about it and rock solid in his message is definitely the Jack that we that we paid for. <laughs> you know, it's Absolutely. the guy we came to see. Well, so like for my own self, when I'm in those moments, like I totally clam up, but I also never want to let it go. So then I'm like the person who would totally write him a letter later and like think it through or like have a hundred different, like there weren't texting at the time, but like where I'm like about that thing you said at dinner upon like, you know, thinking about it really kind of bothered me. I would totally like come at it later because I couldn't let it, I couldn't let it lie. You know, I'm not very good at like letting things go per se really <laughs> like putting things to rest really i kind of suck at that but i would say that like in the moment the blood like rushes to my head i can't think of anything i just want to like run away very fight or flight and i always pick flight well I fight later that's a bad that's not a good characterization of you because oh, really Ooh, i want to hear often it's more tied into the relationship with the person that's saying the thing okay and so often you get tongue-tied because you can correct me if i'm wrong but i oh, feel you like know i will and if not now then later in a letter or text i feel like you <laughs> if it's someone especially related to you it's like you can't believe that they would say something so careless or mm. or or something like that and but you don't really correct them like we have an aunt who is in in her 60s now or maybe late 50s and she continues to use the word retarded in Ooh. casual conversation when Which she when she means that she's when she's made a bad decision and i think this is like the this word when you say it lessens you you mm -hmm, know mm -hmm. you as a person are degraded by saying this word, you know, and she just tosses it around. Yeah. But, but every time I have like a really hard time in the moment, like I will like wince, but like, I'm really, I really have a hard time in the moment, like dealing with it because of exactly what you said, I guess, you know, you want to feel like surely they can't be saying that, you know, like, I guess there's this like that. I'm never over the disbelief in time. You know, yeah. that's what I'm makes me kind of interested in what Jack did is because he's, yeah. I'm not a person that, that values uh, relationships like I should. Wow, that's a mouthful. So um, I can see maybe how Jack is like, my relationship is this with this woman. So if I damage my relationship with her dad, maybe it doesn't matter because I can still probably, you know, win her over. I don't know. Which will be interesting because, I mean, obviously, you know, in the moment, it seems like things are okay. And then, you know, afterwards, the dad's like, look, dude, you have demons. And like, you need to just right. like. I'm going to sabotage your shit, boy. Yeah, basically. <laughs> basically. Which, think about it, though. I mean, we both have dads who would not take kindly to being spoken to by a way younger man like that. You know, I mean, they would not appreciate that. Especially, the like you said, the dynamic of being like, you're dating my daughter. I mean, Maybe I mean maybe it's different if if you are a grown ass man that gets that just got back from killing people for right, for right. a living, which we've never been. No, we've neither never of been. us have been a grown ass man just back from killing. You might feel like you have license to take on people that are shitting on you, basically. Well, and also we have to remember that this Jack at this moment is 
post standing up to his dad and getting his mom out of an abusive relationship. Oh, so then Rebecca's dad ain't nothing. Yeah, exactly. So we have to remember the growth that this Jack has gone through, not only war, but also being able to stand up to his own father and being able to get his mom out of the house. I mean, that's, that's a, a really huge I missed that point. Milestone. Chronologically, moment. we're only like two weeks removed from that. I, I mean, in, in our time as humans, it's like a year. But in right. their time, it's they went on that trip to California and came back. And then this is the next date after that. I mean, obviously, we know how this story ends. And that's kind of part of the interesting thing about This Is Us. Sometimes I can find myself a little bit dismissive of moments that could have a lot more impact or um, like hold my attention a lot more because I know how it ends. Like, why should I care about Jack and the dad really, you know, ha having a hard time with each other when I know very well he marries her and they have a whole life together and they have kids and everything. You know what I mean? Like it's yeah. hard exactly to get super invested in these moments because of the way the story is told. And that's a tricky balance, right? For telling these stories and why we decided to do flashbacks first is because a lot of this stuff, it's hard to even know how much weight to put on some of this stuff when it's like, well, but we already kind of know where this is going. Exactly. You know? So the only thing I can think of, the only reason why that would be worth it is if something way more dramatic has to go on with the dad or way more something has to happen. Like, why do we even have to go through this parent meeting up when we know that they end up getting married, unless there's something about this that's going to change their characters or change something about, do you know what I'm saying? Like, well, we know that, that Rebecca's dad doesn't make it to the 80s. Certainly not. Right. So, Good point. So who knows? Who knows? You know, I don't, if this was more of a drama, like a bigger drama, you'd be like, maybe Jack's going to be, you know, setting up some incidences, you know? That's, no, that's not this it's kind not of story. It's not this show, but you know what I'm saying, right? Like, yeah. because, because that's the way you keep a little intrigue is like, what if he's an obstacle and we already know that all obstacles are overcome and they do get married and they do have a family, then you have to make the obstacle meaningful. Yeah. There has to be something to this that we're going to give a shit about. So not sure what yet we're going to give a shit about, but they've laid it out so far. Okay, so then we have like in our second episode, it's called Pool Part 2, and we completely get into like Flashback City here. So what did you think about this, Paul? Did you like that we go from this complete Strangers episode and then we like blop right into like, hey, remember like your Kodak carousel of slides about the past? Yeah. Yeah, I needed the show to get back on familiar ground. And it was a uh, familiar territory in that we have also been parents that have taken our kids to things that they enjoyed as ch as younger children that did not work out <laughs> at all with older children. I Yeah, I feel you hard on that, Paul. Like, yeah. So if you guys have ever had that experience where either you went as a kid or you took your kid very young and then like, you know, 10 years later, you decide to do it again and the kid's like, wah, wah, and yeah. he's like super stupid. And you're trying to do the same shit. You're like putting the ice pops in the cooler and stuff. And they're like, ice pops, they're for right. babies, you know? And you're like, right. yeah. I'm trying. You don't even know how to behave anymore, right? Right. It's so awkward. Like, who's using the sippy cups? 
<laughs> exactly. But you pack them out of, you know, habit, you know, you don't right. know what's even happening. So, all right, here's the deal. We have Kate go off with these cool girls. Now, were you freaked out at all about these cool girls? Did you see this right away? Instantly suspicious. Tell, tell, dish, Paul. Well, because they look so smug. Yeah, they and, were smug. And Kate has a very, you know, she's just a... She's a wee innocent face. Honest open looking face and she's wanting them to be sincere. I thought she played it really well, to be honest with you. I mean, she basically had fun with their girls all day on some level, right? She, you know, but it was all fake. Those girls aren't going to be your friends. True that. But like that day, though, like just that day, they seem to actually be like chit chatting with each other for that for that small period of time. OK, then we have this setup with the kiss. And I thought she handled it super well. Like supposedly he was going to be the most popular kid instead Stuart. Stuart, you're gonna do that. Totally Stuart. Um, yeah. And so she just mooches Stuart, like, you know what? We're gonna make the best. We're gonna take Stuart and make Stuart aid, you know, like that's how this goes down. And I props to her on that, you know. What was she supposed to do? Like sit on Rebecca's lap and breastfeed? Like, come on. (laughs) (laughs) You don't like that option? Who's that Pearson trying to nurse on me? (laughs) It's Kate. (laughs) <laughs> oh my god hilarious all right meanwhile we totally have kevin and randall and the rump shaker incident the rump shaker incident, which sounds way more salacious than it, it actually is randall should have said i don't know the words he shouldn't have even tried to pretend that he knew the words it would be obvious once once the music started and he didn't know the words i would push my sibling in the chest right when they said why don't you sing and i'd push him in the chest and like be like let's have a fight instead and then it's like <laughs> It's like, no one would ever know, did I know the words or not? Maybe I did. I would never expose myself to not knowing the words and then fight. Like, I just rip the cassette out right away or push him in the pool or do whatever. Like, I'm a way more proactive, like, fuck you than like an after the fact, fuck you. It is another small chapter in the continuation of Randall not knowing who he wants to be yet. But this is super young Randall, so that's like, he's way off from figuring that out. But when the kid said, your brother's blacker than you, that was one of those moments where he's like, well, how black am I supposed to be? Which is a fair question, because I mean... I feel like super bad for him about that because everyone's allowed to have their own interests. And I was a kid who like wasn't super duper duper into music. I liked music. I still like music, but I don't like know the words to every song. I don't know which artist necessarily did which song. Think I'm stupid? Fine. But it's like my own problem. Like I, I wish I was better at it, but I'm just not. That doesn't make me any particular skin color, I feel. I feel like there's just like, I'm just not. And they've never made it where like real knew all the composers and symphonies or something. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's not like they are comparing it to something else. It's like, so what? He's more into science and more into books and more into something else. Like, that just doesn't happen to be his area of interest, you know? So it kind of sucks. Like Randall could probably name the first 50 elements, but could Kevin? Right. And does that make... (laughs) Kevin less white because he doesn't know the elements. Do you know what I mean? Like, why do they have to do it like that? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, because I'm whatever. I think that that was a little bit weird, but I will say that the tearing out of the cassette and pulling out the ribbon or whatever. Is that what we call that? What do we call that stuff? Ribbon? Yeah, that's good enough. In Mag- a, it's in magnetic a tape. But magnetic yeah. Magnetic tape. Okay. I can tell you that I feel like like someone would have seen him doing that. And that's the kind of move that makes everyone go, oh. <gasps> Like, it doesn't even matter what is happening. Like, I can't even think of a better example of like, it wouldn't matter if it was like an old Nana 
or like the lifeguard or like a three-year-old, like everyone would know you were doing the wrong thing. Like he didn't take it in the bathroom and pull it out. He like did it at the table. And like, I can't believe like no one ran to him and was like, <gasps> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, cause right. Like what? I don't even know what to equate it to. It's like, it is such a wrongdoing. I can't express to you guys. It's mischief. If you guys didn't have cassette tapes, you don't know how like a really grievous act that you're doing. Because <laughs> Kevin was never going to be able to listen to that again. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you have to go buy it again. Physically, you don't get to send away for it to send Amazon. Or Maybe you could, What was that thing where you used to be able to like give some pennies or the something? Columbia House. Yeah, look at you. <laughs> for one penny, you got like 12 albums or something like that. But then you had to pay like $40 a month. And to be fair, that was like before our time. Like those were like our older generation. My sibling maybe have done that. But that was, I wasn't up on the Columbia whenever. Readers, readers Digest. I think. Readers Digest. Oh my God. Anyways. Okay. So we set up that same dynamic of like, is Kevin a super dick or what? Like, why does he always have to be this super dick? Paul, why? What is up with Kevin? And how do you feel about the fact that he's even questioning this? Like, am I a good person? What's my deal? Super young Kevin and even teenage Kevin, even adult Kevin until very recently has been about 85% self-centered and 15% maybe noticing other people. That's not abnormal. They're not making him like abnormally so you know, for a kid. Right. And I know that that's something that like, you know, we've had other listeners like bring up like, hey, don't be so hard on Kevin. Totally agree with you. Here's my like, again, my sort of like my eyebrow. I love it that they're having the character ask like, am I a good person? And, you know, Jack gives him the whole Pearson men are complicated and we have all these layers. We're like ogres and onions and whatever. Right. All that <laughs> Shrek talk. Right. All yeah. that Shrek. But my problem is that we know for a fact that Kevin continues to be a dick because we've seen the future. Teenage Kevin is pretty it's hard equally on equally a dick. Yeah. Like, I mean, yeah. So it's like kind of like a, because again, if you didn't know the timeline, you didn't know the future, you would say, this is a real turning point. Kevin's going to be a really different kid. Really? I thought that that was a kind of a B speech for Jack. I didn't, oh, did you? I didn't think that that was one of his best pieces. I thought it was good for on the fly at the pool. I mean, that's an unsuspecting space to have to give such a such a talk. But um, yeah, I thought I thought it was sort of a second tier. So now we're just going to launch right into the first day of junior high, right? Because we're going to continue Kevin's potential growth, though we know it's faux growth, right? This is a, the chia pet of all growths. OK, mm -hmm. it's fast, but it's not going to last. OK, like your chia. Head. Well, when Randall starts school, that episode does show Kevin almost completely selfless, except for him deciding to take a me day up front. Right. But it, but a me day was perfectly fine. It's the last day of summer, right? Or one of the last days of summer. Like, who cares? I mean, it is hilarious. And I want to know, okay, how old about they are they? Seventh grade, right? Okay. What access would you have had, Paul, as a guy, seventh grader, to what a me day was without the internet and without like I would the have world to of see Oprah it now? On a TV show. Basically, I would okay. have needed to like see it. Things like cucumber slices and stuff. I feel like not even a seventh grade girl of that day would know what you're talking about, much less a boy. That's a very glamour magazine. That's not like a tiger beat kind of thing. Like, get out your cucumber slices, girls. Like, no, no, it's not a thing that they're talking about. So I'm not quite sure where he'd be getting such information. And there's no interweb. Remember, kids. So there's nothing to look up. So I was a little like, okay, but let's focus in on Randall. Okay, and this Mr. Lawrence mishap, this was a debacle. 
do you, this was trying to connect with another African-American person, right? right? That's why this piggybacks obviously so well and why we decided to kind of like group this stuff together in the episodes, because like definitely from this pool moment of him feeling like, am I black enough? We're going to like launch right into another episode where it's like here, I'm going to really connect with a black man in my community, which you know, he knew a lot about Mr. Lawrence. And again, no internet, you guys. So like, I'm not so sure how he like looked up Mr. Lawrence or knew all this, but he knew he was from Chicago. So he decided, okay, I'm totally going to like wear my Air Jordans. I'm very questioning of this because that would have been expensive. Yeah. Do Jack and Rebecca come off like the family who would buy one kid? Air Jordans. Air Jordans. I mean, am I being stupid? Like, is that like, I mean, you have like essentially triplets. Yeah. Doesn't that seem like that would have been a big day to get your Air Jordans? Well, I mean, of the flashbacks, I mean, he tried football for that one time, but I don't remember him trying a lot of other athletics. Air Jordans were, I mean, there were some poser types that wore them uh, that, uh, but but really, I mean, they were for people that were going to play basketball. I think they were mushing into that concept of like fashion, street shoes. You know, like yeah. these were shoes because I mean, plenty of people own that kind of stuff who like don't even ever wear them. Like they stay on the shelf yeah, kind of thing. I, they just keep them a, super clean. But this is the time when those things were like kind of new. I, I completely agree. Like, I think we we're just like starting the concept, like how he would think he should just like wear them at school. I don't know. This is a little bit sketchy for me. I don't exactly know how this would have gone down. And again, it would have been a really big deal that he had them. So I, I don't know. Do you think that he should have been more aware that he was going against dress code? Does that seem like something that Randall would have missed? Yes, he would have known the rule, but it's conceivable that he would have thought, well, it's just shoes. It's not like I'm wearing clown shoes. I'm, I'm just wearing high tops or whatever. So you thought it was just going to fly under the radar? Basically, yeah. Do you agree with what the teacher did and giving him like a yellow slip and all that crap? No, I think he's a complete dick. Me too. God, where's your like warning? Where's your like moment? And like none. And he was like super being a hard ass. Like he's like, I dress sharp, you know, in order to like look the part. And it was like, well, okay. I mean, Rindo was just wearing very clean, very neat looking sneakers. It's not like, like you said, it's not like he came in with like his shirt tattered or like something where he was like not looking the part, I guess, if that makes sense. Did you ever see Boys in the Hood? I think so. Yes. Way back. Do you remember there's a moment where police are called and they come to Trey's house and the dad, Lawrence Fishburne, goes out and meets them and there's a white cop and a black cop. And the black cop is noticeably harder on uh, Trey and his dad because, well, it's just sort of it's kind of the same sort of thing, possibly. It's the same. It's a similar dynamic. I mean, he's it's it's a movie, so they can say a lot harder things. Right. But it kind of reminds me of that just a, just a little bit, just a, that kind of weird. Like people within like their own culture, like you where you might think they'd actually give somebody a break. They're actually like even rougher on them. Yes, like, right. Like you need to. Thank you for articulating that in a way that I was not going to get to. <laughs> but yes. Well, just that that like that like somehow you are not raising it up to a level that you should be. And so rather than me being easier on you, I'm going to like call you out 10 times harder because I'm up here and you need to like bring yourself up kind of Basically, thing. yeah. But I just thought, oh God, that was so harsh. And I guess here's the sad thing. I'm 100% looking at it from a teacher point of view. Like it's the first day of school and this is the first day you're a teacher. Like I'm taking it like this teacher almost just like took this opportunity to be like, 
super jerk. Like as if he has to prove himself to Randall, like or, or to all the kids, whatever, like to like be like, look, I'm not going to just like let you guys slide because I'm cool or something. I don't know. It was it felt so much like more like that to me. But then I completely hear you that it seems like, yeah, you're right. Like a way more like cultural thing. Like you're like, everybody needs to dress nicer and do whatever if you want to move up in this world kind of thing. I, I wonder if they'll revisit that theme if, if he'll just address it just straight up or if they'll just not or, or what. I mean, the it seems like we're going to see this guy again, though. I think that appearances, I mean, generally speaking, I know that of course they matter to everybody don't get me wrong but like the way that moving and moving to another episode later where haircuts of the girls are like a big topic and that kind of thing of like making sure that everybody looks just so and making sure that you feel like everyone's like fitting in that definitely seems to be a theme you know mm. for randall and his family like you don't want to stand out too much mm -hmm. which then you know beth like later sort of like says like I, i'm doing the wrong thing my children need to be their unique selves i need to stop worrying about you playing a part but that's essentially what mr lawrence is saying to him you need to play the part that's why i dress like i'm arsenio hall like you need to play a part and like it takes all the way to Beth and their kids to say, I don't want you to play a part. I want you to be you. Good call. Which feels like some growth from this flashback. The teacher may be right in that setting in a private middle school where you may be the smartest guy, but you stand out for other reasons that maybe other people don't understand or don't get. Maybe doing your best to fit in is the right thing to do just to get through that, especially when you're talking about middle school, right. which is like the worst setting possible socially for faux pas. You know, I agree. Things are very amplified there. That's very true. And 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 I guess I'm not even saying that the teacher is giving bad advice. I think it just shouldn't have come with a punishment. Yeah. You know, I think he could have given the advice. A warning could have sufficed for and, that and just guy. Given he him, would have still gotten a panic attack from getting a warning. A hundred percent. And here's the thing. He already had Randall's respect. Like there was no reason to try to scare him when he already had the respect from the kid. You know, like he he he's listening to you with both ears. Why are you going to come at him with punishment? Like that just seemed way too over the top. Dick. <laughs> when Randall calls home against Kevin, did you expect Kevin to do what he did? No. No. Would you have ever done that for for a sibling? Not at that age. It would have occurred to me maybe later, but but not at that age to um, forge a signature. No. And besides, you seventh grade, you weren't forging signatures. No, you've seen my writing, <laughs> right? You uh, are familiar with yeah. my penmanship. I feel like middle school is like the main time I was forging signatures because that's like <laughs> I was sucking so hard at math and like you had to get everything signed all the time. Let me tell you how this goes. Okay, guys, this is like a this is us moment. Okay, I'm obviously still alive now. So there's your so this is a flashback, but you know how it ends. If you forge signatures of your parents for like a good deal of time, guess what happens? Your report card and or whatever comes with the shitty grade. Which then reveals all the previous shitty grades that had to have come up before that, which then reveals the lack of telling of said shitty grades. So when the report card comes, it's like, yeah, you did a great job of like keeping things cool for like two months. And then guess what happens? Uh, there gets you have to have a poster board on the fridge 
where you have to write your grades every day in front of everyone because you've been forging the signatures and everyone's a little sick and tired of Just the shenanigans. for the zombie apocalypse before the end of the <laughs> Basically, semester. Basically, yeah. I don't know what was well, – that. see, that in itself is seventh grade thinking right there. Not the not forging. It's that, well, what happens if I forge this signature? Like, how does this extrapolate out? Like, it's like, oh, yeah eventually they find out and now they're super pissed right right because like would they would jack and rebecca have been mad over sneakers who does he think his parents are you know right. don't they doesn't he know they're gonna be like well don't wear the sneakers next time basically you know yeah. i mean come on and like he would have even needed that i mean he would have been like throwing those shoes in the trash can no doubt you know Okay, so sneaking in, I mean, hello, this was like a big redemption moment for Kevin, right? He's like polishing his tilted halo, like, look yeah, at me, I'm like actually doing something good. One of those moments that lets you know that Kevin has potential. <laughs> and then, okay, this was my, really, my most favorite of all these three episodes, and maybe one of my most favorite moments of all the seasons, was having Kevin and Randall and Kate sitting on the floor in the bedroom talking about the things that were going on with them randall talking about you know thanking kevin and saying how upset he was and, Ke and kate coming in overhearing you know like oh kevin let me know what was going on like she was already filled in and then she like has her little stewart reveal and they're like stewart and like and then she goes okay thank you guys like in this like super adorable voice I want so much more of that big three than I want of them arguing and bickering and bullshit or even their individual stories. I think that there's a little bit of like a missed opportunity about the fact that they are essentially triplets and that there is something to them having each other's backs, having twins ourselves and, and a kiddo right after. There is a special bond that are between kids that are so packed together in age and especially being multiples and stuff that they aren't really even tapping into very much. That's something that they sort of glided by. They only gave it just a tiny amount of attention in the first episode of the season was normally these start on their birthday. And this one started on their birthday, too. But there was hardly much hardly attention. Mentioned. A, a pay to that yeah. right and there were other seasons where we had moments where they were like remember when they would have like spidey sense mm -hmm. about like something's going on something's wrong you know like that kind of thing but they really fall away from that a lot which i mean i think people do find interesting and do art every time i'm like at the pharmacy and i give the fact that our daughters have the same date of birth the person goes you have twins like every time so like <laughs> people are interested and do think it's like a fascinating phenomenon you know um, do you remember, Paul, what was that thing called when they used to have those stories when they were like, Jojo is in Michigan and she feels a prick on her hand and she calls her sister Virginia. And it turned out right at that moment, she had cut her hand with a glass. Do you remember that? It was like, yeah. it's not Unsolved Mysteries, but it's like, remember it was like Time Life Books or something? There was, uh, well, remember Factor Fiction with Jonathan yes. Franks as the host? Oh my God. That and then at the end, he'd have to say, did you think that the woman who cut her hand and her twin felt it in Minnesota was real? It wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> That show is so funny. Yes, but do you remember the show, though, what I'm talking about, about the thing where it turns out to be like a time life book story or it was something like it was like the idea that it was a long commercial, I think, so. about like having yeah. some sort of ESP or something. Right, yes. I don't know. Something super yes. weird. Point is, did you want more? Read the book. Yes. People were interested, though. I think people would be interested in this. 
loved them sitting on the floor, loved Kate having her moment. Let's talk about this. She has this whole aerobics situation where she aerobicizes once and runs to the scale only to be disappointed that she has not lost a great deal of weight at all. When she goes and asks her brother if they would date someone who's bigger, P, I could kind of see you giving the Cindy Crawford answer <laughs> as like a little guy. That's a good answer. If you guys don't remember... He says, well, I'm I'm going to marry Cindy Crawford. And she's like 5'9". So she's like way bigger than me. <laughs> That's totally hilarious. It's so cute and like heartwarming. And you're like, oh, Kevin. And like... Of course, that's not what she's talking about, but they're so innocent and it's so sweet, you know, and he means it. Like, what are you even talking about? They're still at that age where kids are all generally the same size, pretty much. Yeah. Girls actually tend to be a little bigger. So I don't think that you have that moment where guys and girls are having that, you know, like all the girls were sort of just about done growing seventh, eighth grade, you know, yeah, where you guys were still supposed to keep going. Supposed to. Supposed to keep going. So, yeah. I wouldn't know much about all that. Right. What did you think about slipping in a little Arsenio Hall show action? And like, what, how would you describe Arsenio Hall to those who never got any opportunity to witness the show? Well, he was famous primarily because he co-starred with Eddie Murphy in Coming to America. I don't think that's why he was famous primarily. I think. Oh, I definitely do. I think his TV show. No. Do you think the TV show came before Coming to America? Well, okay. The Coming to America. Sure. But to like. Like, if you ask somebody right now, what is Arsenio Hall best known for? They'd be like, the Arsenio Hall well, show. Well, sure. That, that was what he came after that. But he his clout and his everything came from Eddie okay, Murphy. Okay, but let's talk about the Arsenio Hall show. The Arsenio Hall, Hall show. show was on Fox. It was on at the same time as like uh, Johnny Carson or whoever else was on right then. But the, But he was a black host, which was new and different and not hadn't been done before. And he got different kinds of guests than the other shows got sometimes, including Bill Clinton. And I would say, I'm going to add to that and say- Prior to winning the presidency. Remember that he played his sax? Right. And that kind of made him like this cool guy. But that's kind of the point. Part of it is not just that, it's not just that he was black. He was also young and hip and trendy. And so the idea that Bill Clinton would come on, they wouldn't have him like just answer serious questions because that's not what Arsenio Hall show was about. It would be about- Bill Clinton putting on those sunglasses, I remember it very well, and playing the sax. And you getting to see that side of someone who is such a serious politician type person, you know, now playing the sax, looking all, you know, cool and whatever. That's what the Arsenio Hall show did. Like, I remember he, one time he had Jason Voorhees. Yeah. What did he Like do? Jason with the hockey mask. Yeah. He just came out and sat. <laughs> and Arsenio asked him a couple of questions and he didn't move or anything like that. And then at the end, he just sort of looked hard at Arsenio for a second and then got up and left. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, I think that we have more shows like that today. Like I would say like Jimmy Fallon with the roots is really similar to Arsenio Hall having his, his like in-house band, you know, when well, he had, uh, uh, a special seating area that he called the dog pound. Yeah. And they were the ones that roo, 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 did that barking sound. Yeah, and did their, and, hands, and the, their fist. It's like Kevin was doing in the show. Exactly. In case you guys didn't understand why Kevin was doing that in the show. That's that was, what he was woofing. That was part of the show. That was part of the show. But so it was, and I would also say that it was like a precursor to like Ellen DeGeneres show where it was like much more like young and fun. He would introduce people who were more up and coming and it would be more edgy and more exciting and just really cool basically well like bill clinton was taking on an incumbent president 
and he was coming on to play the sax and wear sunglasses and all that kind it of stuff. It was very cool, yeah, right? Was, very cool. Yeah. So, yeah. So, overall, like, I love that they brought that up. And I think that I don't think Arsenio gets enough credit, Paul, for, for how much he influenced really the things that we like to see on talk shows. Because a lot of things, I mean, God, if you look at things like Jimmy Fallon, Seth Meyers, and Jimmy Kimmel, and James Corden, Call all of room. them, every single one of them, they're really just ripoffs of what Arsenio did, whether it's music, whether it's you know, having games or whether it's having like, you know, certain things that they say or do or whatever, like it's all, you know, like he did it first, you know, he did it when Johnny Carson was sitting there with a suit on behind the desk being way more straight laced, you know, not going to go outside the box. Right, right, right. You know, funny. It was funny, but reserved funny. So, yeah. So I love that they bring that back. That was like a fun memory for for me. I liked that. I totally watched the show. So I watched it when I was a kid. I loved it. And I love that, you know, that is one of the very few shows, again, not unlike like Ellen has different shows even now, like at nighttime, where you could like really sit as a family and watch it. And it was cool and hip, like as a family, you know, it kind of like brought the generation gap a little bit smaller, you know, because parents were interested because that was Bill Clinton. And kids were interested because the guy was playing a sax. It was like, well, you know, like it was kind of funny and cool, you know, but it was like, I don't know. It made things a little bit less like us and them with the whatever generation. Okay, Paul. So now we're going to take it real serious because we have this whole Jack situation at work. This is way more serious of a flashback. Okay. Have you ever had a situation where you really screwed up at work and you were like freaking out and you realized like, oh my God, I'm going to get fired? No. <laughs> I also have never cost anyone $20,000 out of their pocket that I'm aware of. I mean, maybe I did do something, but not that I know. Right. <laughs> Certainly not as direct as not getting right. the permitting done correctly. That time you didn't face the beans at Randall's. Face the beans. Listen, <laughs> <laughs> people don't even know what you're talking about. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's time to face the beans. Oh, my God. <laughs> Oh, for like 10 seconds of time, you guys, I was like a uh, like shelf stalker at our local grocery store, mainly because you got to work at night and you didn't have to deal with any of the math having to do with counting down your drawer. Yeah, she had a couple drawers come in <laughs> short. <laughs> Which for the life of me, I don't know. I wish I did steal that money, okay? Because I did not. But here's the punchline. You had to stay until like three in the morning and I was like 16 and I was like, I have school. <laughs> like, I got to go. Oh, like I'm so not doing this. Like I'm out of here. So I was not a good worker. I did not face all the beans. I was like, the beans look good enough. <laughs> People are just gonna move them tomorrow anyway. Like, what difference does it make? This is a never-ending project. <laughs> the worst kind of projects, Paul. Yeah. The yeah. never-ending type. Okay. What is my best project name? What? Done is. Perfect. If you are never done, <laughs> this is the worst project ever. Never good. All right, but back to Jack's project. Okay, things are not going well. The permitting didn't happen correctly. Did you realize that Miguel was so far far up the chain past Jack and actually had all this clout? I didn't remember that. Once the episode got rolling, I did then recall that Miguel had i think they're just in separate arms of the of the thing yeah, like, he's like, like in like he's in sales clearly and that's why he has accounts mm -hmm. whereas jack has is the construction side right he deals right. with like the crews and permitting apparently 
<laughs> when he's doing his job. Right. <laughs> when he's not fawning over the aerobicizing Rebecca Pearson, then right. he's actually caring about his permitting. So I thought that that was sweet. And I did you like that conversation that they had at the end there, the mushiness between Miguel and Jack and being all like, blah, blah, blah. if we did have mushy conversations, this would be one. Yeah. Could you imagine ever saying that to another man, Paul? Yeah, probably something along those lines. What? No, nothing as direct as mushy stuff. You wouldn't have I can't. Said I can't even pretend to say. You can't it. even. That's why I'm laughing at you. Well, I thought that that was sweet. I did think that at the part where Jack's like, "If there's ever anything I can do for you, just like let me know." How could any of us not say, "Give you my wife"? Right. right. <laughs> if you want to sleep with my wife lend later, out Becky. Yeah, that's pretty much what goes down, right? So. Paul, we're so irreverent. We're mm. horrible, aren't yeah, we? Yeah, we totally are. God. Okay. All right, you guys. That finishes up our flashbacks for, for episodes one through three. Now we're going to start slogging through the Pearson clan, okay? But we're not going to go so slow. We're going to speed this up a little bit because we know, hey, you have been watching the show. You know what's going on. You just want some like peppered in comments from us, right? That's why you're listening. I assume that's why anyone listening to this to it, this point is still listening. It would be weird if you hadn't watched the shows and you were just relying on us for factual information. Don't do that. Come back over to us when you want to hear like some goofy story about what Paul did in seventh grade. That's <laughs> what you're here for. That's the this is us in daily review, right? Right. We're bringing the us, Paul. To me, this. Paul and Caroline. <laughs> exactly. All right. So. We are going to get right into Kevin's story. He has got two comrades in episodes one through three who get sprinkled into his story. We have Cassidy. Give me a quick rundown of Cassidy, Paul. She is. Cassidy is played by Jennifer Morrison. She was the lead. She played Bella Swan on Once Upon a Time for most of its run. So she is an actress that is, and she was on, I guess, Grey's Anatomy before that. So she's got a lot of credit. I don't see her being brought in to be a, a minor character given that we think the show is probably ending next year is that right i i don't know i mean we've heard talk of five but i'm not gonna pretend this like is the I right know. time frame to introduce uh, a love interest i if, guess that's you, true you know. yeah but you know that's just conjecture i guess um this whole thing is conjecture <laughs> so yes she was in the first episode depicted as a marine a negotiator she was a officer of some sort but not really a fighting officer. She was there to talk to the village people and get them to give up information in exchange for other things, such By as visas or things like that. Village people, you don't mean... YMCA, no. I mean, in did they specify... I don't think so. What, Middle East. Yeah, a desert environment. So the whole thing with her is that I think that she is playing a modern day parallel to Nikki's story. So you've got sort of this yin and yang sort of moment here for, for Kevin, because you've got this PTSD soldier. She's coming back. She's got a drinking problem. We have that like really sad moment where she's like triggered by this $1,200 fixing of the water heater. And that's the same amount of money they were given for, you know, compensation for dead family members. She's like in this moment in her head and she pushes her son. Do you think that that would be enough in in most households, especially given the idea that military households are probably pretty aware that when their spouses come back home, things can be going bad. Would that be enough to trigger 
the chain of events towards divorce? Or do you think that there would be a little bit more? With that rapidity, I was led to assume that there had been many smaller incidents and that they just kind of built up to the point where the husband, played by Nick Wexler, thought that she was too dangerous to keep around. That's what I, that's the only thing I could assume, because you're right. With just a couple of scenes that we got, he sure jumped to kicking her out right away. Which I understand. I mean, when it comes down to safety and it comes down to kids, like I get it on some level. But then it seems like it would be like you have to get treatment or else we will get a divorce. And it's not like she wasn't at the VA getting treatment. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So it seems kind of shitty that it would just be like you're having a problem. And so get out. You know, like that seems like a lot to me. But again, they're showing you a slice of the pie. Some people may be very sick of it, you know, right away. I don't know. And they even showed the setup of like when they were doing like the video Skype call, they already seemed like they were having trouble. Like how the husband was like, oh yeah, the kid already went to bed. Like she didn't get right. stuck. Like, and then, and they were sort of like disconnected even in the phone call. Like it seemed like things weren't really even jiving at that point. And then it just got worse and worse. So the big fat question is, is that we have Cassidy sitting in that meeting, right? When Nikki throws the chair through. Now, a lot of people are saying, oh, Cassidy, where is she going to come into play? Right. This is the whole question. Yeah. Is she Nikki's long lost daughter? I've heard talk of. Is she going to be Kevin's love interest? Is she simply this conduit between Nikki, who is this like really, really rough, hard exterior soldier? And then you have this way more um, accessible soldier. Not that she's kind to Kevin in any way over these three episodes, but that you kind of feel like you could probably ultimately get her to come around. Is she going to provide the insight Kevin needs into Nikki's experience that Nikki just can't express himself? Is she going to be like the magnifying glass or something where things, you know, become a little bit more clear about what's going on with Nikki? Is that the role she's going to play or is she strictly a love interest or does she get to be a lot of things? I guess I think a lot of things. I think they have done her hair and her makeup to make her look pretty severe. like like a spinster librarian or something like that. But yeah, definitely when the um, chair came through the window, that particular scene, you'll... You let her hair down and give her the right makeup and she's much prettier than they're letting her be so far. Oh, so you think this is one of those, like, she's all that, where they're going to take her overalls and glasses off and she's going to be beautiful? I, I believe eventually, yes, they will let us see that she's actually a pretty woman and not this, you know person but that's going to come much 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 later so yeah i think there's going to be some love interest stuff and uh the lens part that you mentioned is going to be probably instrumental in making nikki feel like he can come back to the pearson family I like that. once once she kind of teaches them one way or the other how to accept him as he is because it's it's interesting how like outside people can can see through you know they, they have their own problems but they can see through your problem and exactly what would help the situation you know right well and and she has such a great deal of common experiences with nikki everything from you know needing to deal with the va and needing to deal with you know just all these disappointments and all this coming back to life and life isn't what you thought it was going to be and and all that and these triggered memories and everything that yeah i mean i could see where where that link is enough that nikki feels comfortable to stick around even if it's just to kind of hang around cassidy you know sure 
sure. who then is hanging around Kevin, who then is hanging around the rest of the Pearsons. It's like a little chain. Cassidy provides that missing link, you know, between Kevin and Nikki, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So I see that happening. So let's talk a little bit about Kevin and what was going on with him through these first three episodes. Well, Kevin needs a project. He does. He just finished that M. Night Shyamalan movie and apparently things went well. I like how they threw in these like big projects <laughs> yeah, that he's right. on. Did you think that it was surprising or very maybe what you would expect for an actor to have a moment where he says, you know, I actually feel more comfortable on set where people can tell me the words to say and how to act and basically direct me around my day literally, than I do in my own skin, than I do when I'm like walking around being my own self. I, I think that that's probably true. It kind of reminds me of the Leonardo DiCaprio character from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Mm -hmm. and, but, but without, that character didn't quite have the level of introspection that Kevin attempts, basically. And so he just lived out what Kevin was talking about, that he was great on set, but away from set, he was sort of falling Lost. apart yeah yeah like i would say yeah like he didn't like even and and if you guys haven't seen this movie you should totally check it out but like when he pulls up in his own driveway like he has a big poster of himself like in his costume like as a movie poster you know mm -hmm. like almost as if like you were pulling up to his home but it wasn't him the person's home he was like still sort of in character even at his home you know like he had this persona to keep on most of the time because he didn't really know what the other person, what, what he was without it, you know, yeah. who he was without it, what, right. it, what it even looked like. And that that's hard. Now, in a lot of ways, I mean, they focus on the Manny with Kevin and they really don't delve too deep in a, a whole lot. I mean, they did in the last season with the soldier character that he played. So, again, laying this groundwork that somehow he was going to have a little bit more empathy and a little more understanding because in theory he had some research. Maybe that went into that character so that when he is dealing with Cassidy and Nikki... Maybe he has a little bit more something than just a guy off the street because he did play a soldier. We recently got some interesting news. We did? We did what? On the, over the internet. Tell me, over okay. the interweb? Yeah. there's what this. Say? There's these shows what? called um, like the Arrow and Flash and Supergirl, and they all kind of tie together with their superhero you know, adventures. And every season that they've coexisted, They've had a team up, right? Where they where they go on each other's shows. This season, they're doing what they're calling uh, the Crisis on Infinite Earths, where they're bringing in people that have played versions of characters in other shows, and they're letting them play them again, but on this. So, like Brandon Routh plays one of the characters on one of the shows in the universe, right? But he also played Superman in a movie. They're going to let him play Superman on the TV show. Wow, complicated. Why this ties in is because once upon a time, Justin Hartley played the Green Arrow on Smallville, and they're going to let him play another version of the Green Arrow where there's already a character that plays the Arrow. Interesting, right? Okay. I totally thought you were going somewhere else with this because did you see that the, the networks are doing that thing called Cast from the Past right now? No. Okay, so it's this wiggity thing that they're doing where, like, so say one character, like, on, oh, this is going to be horrible. So I'm just going to give you an example. It's not going to be a true example, but it's just going to be an example. So, like, on The Good Place, Ted Danson's on, right? Yeah. So then they have, like, the character who plays, like, 
Norm, Shelley Long comes on and someone else. And it's like the whole cast, there's like three or four cast people, but they come on as characters within that other character show. They're not playing it, but it's called Cast from the Past. They're doing it across all these different shows. Like, I think it was on like the Goldbergs and like sort of like Michael was, Gross on the last episode of Spin City. He was, uh, kind of if you also included for, for Meredith Baxter, Bernie, and like it would be like if you got all of them to come in on one episode, but they were all just playing playing other part it had nothing to do with it but you just basically got the cast back together not the not the characters but the cast back together mm-hmm. wacky right it's yeah. something it is in this whole reboot world that we're in it's where people cannot let idea. go of the past I mean, i've even heard that they're gonna have like michael keaton as batman they're, oh there my was, goodness there's even talk of linda carter as wonder woman I that mean, is because they cannot this is reboot city that is just rebooting all those characters that's like cray cray well they'll just be in for like an episode i know but it doesn't matter it's so I, i've even heard that they're gonna have burt ward as as oh, robin i heard that too now that you just said that i do remember that that's so great. Well, so, but here's the deal. You're talking about it. You know, that's a show that I might watch, even though I might not watch those particular shows. I might watch that just because it'd be so funny and wacky to see Burt Ward playing Robin, like, yeah. or Linda Carter playing Wonder Woman. Like, now you're tapping into some stuff that I think is like funny. Right? Well, and like, Justin Hartley playing Green Arrow. <laughs> yeah, back to Kevin. Let's get back to Kevin. Okay, so we have this whole situation where he is having this sort of like mixed feelings. Like, should he stick around for Jack and be around to help with baby Jack, or should he be like trying to live? his best life by going off to find a new movie role. And they kind of leave us with this idea that he's going to the airport and we definitely think he's going to pursue the Chicago Spike Jones movie role. I think it's funny that he has that little ficus. I'm kind of like laughing about it, but I understand it. Like it's something that he's supposed to keep alive and take care of. And it's supposed to be something outside of himself. It's like Stan's cone monkey. It's exactly (laughs) like Stan's Bornax traffic cone monkey. Yes. That was exactly the same. That's the psychology of it, right? Is yeah. that if you have this other thing that you're supposed to be taking care of and you're supposed to be worried about monkey, you know, you're you're less involved with yourself and it makes you more brave. And to that point, I can remember like I am more nervous to fly by myself than I am to fly with my kids because when I am taking care of my kids, I am braver and stronger and more have more courage and can and more resourceful than when I'm by myself, I feel more vulnerable. But when I have that like mama bear force field around me, like nobody's going to mess with us, you know, like I'm going to take care of everything. Nothing can bother us. Mm-hmm. So I get that. Like your ficus is like, I can't let anyone bother my ficus. So I've, I got to I got to get up in the morning, take care of things. So when he so shows up on Nikki's doorstep with his ficus, were you surprised by this? I was. I was. But um, I wanted to add that I think it was. Right. That he that he knew it was honorable that he knew he he needed to keep himself busy and that he wanted to try to help with Jack. But ultimately, a childless uncle really has a, not not a, a, a big role to play in what's going on in in the Damon house. OK. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Sort of actually would be more in the way uh, while, while they're learning how to parent baby jack i think that I, I will share like a like a nugget of that and say that i do think especially if you've gone through a NICU stay and a lot of people are caring for your child a lot of people are and a lot of people have their hands on your kids we have a little different circumstance because we had three kids so it's it's different i i did need more help but there is that moment where you're kind of like we just need to take care of our baby you know and mm. i and we we're kind of over everybody hovering over us or taking them out of our hands you know like i i just want to be there with with the baby you know oh, yeah it's a very anxiety ridden 
period. You, you, and you don't need an audience. Right. I mean, like you don't, you know, if you look like shit that day or whatever, like you don't necessarily need an audience and, and people are well-meaning. And again, like we had three kids, so like it was too overwhelming for just me, but there was only times when I was like, I need people out of my house. You know, like I would look at you and be like, get everyone out of here. Like it just needs to be us and the kids for a little bit, at least, you know, because it's just overwhelming, you know, it's too much. So I, I get that, that Kate was both looking out for herself and Toby and the baby, but also Kevin, you know, he needed to, not, he needs to not be auxiliary to the situation. He needs to have his own little story, you know? Yeah. However, he decides to delve into someone else's story, just goes to a different, <laughs> different place. Let's talk about what Nikki was going on for these first three episodes, because he actually had like a pretty tight story pretty quick. Basically, he he takes it to heart and actually gets some counseling and goes to, to the VA, getting the little picture of baby Nikki baby Nikki, baby Jack, and puts it up on the fridge, cleans his trailer, puts the alcohol in the back cabinet, starts this counseling with Dr. Ruiz, and the worst situation happens. Totally gets Well, he starts to derailed. trust her. Yeah. Yes. And then she goes away. Now, we've had experience with this, and we can say that it is a giant disappointment. We've had a situation where a member of our family was seeing a therapist, and there was a lot of trust and a lot of opening up and a lot of like information being given. And then that therapist just kind of, the schedule got weird. He was sick. like Stuff started happening. It was like, that whole thing just fell apart. And it it's really disappointing. Like I could see him throwing a chair. We we definitely felt, I know you did, Paul, like felt very mad that like we thought we were like dealing with some issues that needed to be dealt with outside um, the two of us. But it was like a third party. And it was like, oh, my God, like we thought there was some progress being made over here. And then it was like, oh, my God, you know, we don't really have a trusted therapist anymore. Right. That was upsetting. Mm -hmm. We could, could you see why Nikki would be so mad? I. I, I I could. I mean, I've seen it with different family members and and even even for my own self, having gone to different therapists where you uh feel like you're sharing with something and then, then they then they're like, Yeah, I'm not gonna see patients anymore or whatever. And you're like Yeah, the Tuesdays don't work for me, so Right. And I'm booked all the other days and you're like, What? Yeah. <laughs> it's hard. It's really hard. And especially for someone like Nikki who, you know, has been sort of like in this balled up place for so long. I think of him as like an armadillo rolled up tight in a ball, you know, with his gray hair. If you guys don't know what an armadillo looks like, they've got this gray scraggly hair um, and it's wiry little hair. It's not, you don't think of him as a furry animal, but let me just tell you, he, he has hair. So I feel like it's the kind of thing that it, you could understand why he would get so mad. It was Again, the parallel to have Kevin come basically help Nikki out. Isn't that just what he did for Randall? Yeah, good call. Plus, I mean, he just, I mean, he needs to feel like he's doing something, you know? And, and, he, and he basically said, I mean, the acting is easy for me, but I don't really feel like I've done anything by the end of the, 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 the day. It is tricky. I mean, I think if you consider acting to be like art, right, then... It's very hard to put a, a value on that particular facet of life, right? Because it's not something that anyone can really say, well, 
well, this this was very important what you did. I, I understand. And like, don't get me wrong. I love fine arts and I love everything about paintings and sculptures and music and movies certainly do change lives and TV shows certainly do. But if you're the actor who maybe doesn't feel like you've made your mark, that you've made something that's been so pivotal to, to if you've made the Manny, right, which right. I feel was sort of Kool-Aid-ish, you know, not really nutritious to anyone, not really important to anyone's day-to-day lives, that what do you do with that? You could see where you got to find something with more meaning. Right. So here's our overlap. We've got Nikki throwing the chair into Cassidy's AA meeting. And so now we have this like three amigos situation that starts is gelling here between Cassidy, Nikki, and Kevin. They're all AA attendees. They're all sort of going through their own private silent battles. I think technically at this stage, Nikki is an AA tag-along. Okay, yes. Even though he definitely has a drinking problem. (laughs) Right. Well, you know what, though? I would say this. Because the idea of any of those AA or OAs or any, any of these different meetings, basically, it's about sharing and opening yourself up. Nikki just got burned, like burned freaking hard, you know? So coming into this meeting and like wanting to share, why would he share? He like just had a therapist leave. There's no part of you that would want to be like, let me open myself up. And that was a one-on-one therapy. Yeah, that's like the worst. So we do have this other little moment where we have Kevin meeting Cassidy's son. And so they have like an actual overlap there. Cassidy, I thought was a little weird because I don't really see how the dad would have let Cassidy have free reign like this with the son. And then, I mean, he would know she was like, I don't This seems weird. A little bit. Fill out my thought there. You know what I'm trying to say. Well, yeah, because I mean, last, I mean, she hit him last time. And, and so, I mean, were you too busy or, or how was he being taken care of while she was, you know, deployed? He seems school age and yeah, good call. Like, don't you have like babysitters and stuff set up? Like, this is weird. That did seem weird. It just, (laughs) it did showcase that as as usual kevin is great with kids right which right right he actually he actually gets along with the little guy pretty well although he just relates to him as like an 8 year old well, he bought him a ton of candy. That helps. No, but the whole like, I kill Mario Kart or whatever he's saying, like, he wasn't like, oh, cool, let's play video games. He was like, I'll kill you at this. Like, he was, he kind of took it like they were peers, you know, like that was kind of a funny moment. So we have that, that final, you know, AA meeting that really had that interesting parallel to the Overeaters Anonymous meeting with Kevin and Toby and Madison, where you have Kate and Toby and Madison. Madison was, was going on and on about what appeared to be very, shallow, very uninteresting problems. And Kate finally kind of broke. That was very similar to Kevin, you know, going on and on about being, what if he's get jowls? And what if he, what if he becomes an AARP, you know, wiping ass uh, commercial (laughs) actor, you know, this kind of stuff. And it just made Cassidy like bust out and then Nikki bust out. That seems so similar. I could really see how, well, here's the thing. Those moments probably happen all the time. Right. Where you're sitting in very serious meetings and something strikes you as like hilarious. Don't, couldn't yeah, you imagine sure. that someone probably laughs inappropriately? I don't know. Regularly. Yeah. <laughs> like for a lot of reasons. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so, yeah. So that's where Kevin's at. And I think it's do you like this pairing of Cassidy and Kevin and Nikki? Do you like them sort of bringing in this new blood with Cassidy, mixing it with this super old blood pre Kevin Nikki? 
What do you think about this? Do you like their dynamic? If they have a lot, if they have a whole episode about the three of them, are you tuning in or like, I don't want to watch this week? I mean, so far, so good. Cassidy has um, a little warming up to do before she's actually a likable character. I mean, I understand that she's portraying a service person with with post-traumatic stress and all that. And I, it's tough to, to say she's not likable at this stage, but I mean, face facts, folks. She's not very likable. And she's at this super point. dismissive of Kevin. So, I mean, of course, we have to feel that way. Now, again, having dealt with the state and dealing with the government, the fact that the time he meets her is like in a VA office, no doubt whatever she was doing was probably stressful and shitty and paperwork. We saw her filling it out. It would be not pleasant. I mean, it's not pleasant for us when we have to deal with state stuff or government stuff. So, I definitely, I mean, I feel for her, and that would put you in a real spicy mood to come back out and see like a strange man talking to your kid you'd be like you know like get away you know yeah so i i feel i feel that i feel that but i look forward to them i actually i like how i think that cassidy's injection here has made nikki seem to soften up we're getting to see i mean seeing him laugh i think that was the first time we saw him laugh so that made me feel like okay there's a lot more to nikki that i think cassidy's gonna you know pull out of the character and I and I really like the actor who's playing Nikki. I know you know him. Griffin Dunn. Yeah. So I'm excited to see him really like open up this character. See where it goes. Who's next? We are going to talk next about Randall and Beth, Deja and Tess, and little old Danny. Councilman Randall. Councilman Randall. Do you guys remember? So we ended the whole season last year when they decided they're going to make the big move to Philly. This was a big old deal, right? We're starting off with them, also meeting back up with them with like the days before school is about to start. And they're getting their sort of like BTS hairdos, getting their, you know, roots down, how they're going to go. Let's talk at first about Deja and this bus, bus route business, okay? Because we really know that that's linked to Malik. So we got to get back to Malik for a moment, okay? Okay. Let's talk about old Malik. So Malik is introduced to us in the first episode. He is one of the characters that made us be like, what are we watching? <laughs> because he was such a mystery unto himself. It wasn't just that we were being introduced to Malik. It's that they had him watching a phone, talking about his girl, talking about all this stuff. And as an actor, he is so young looking. Yeah. So young. I mean, I know we looked young as juniors in high school, but he looks so young. He looks 12 or 13. Exactly. So what's his backstory? His backstory is he it looks like he comes from a home that is still in one piece uh, they have one they have both parents at home and they seem loving and supportive but he also decided to do some things that created a child and that child lives with him full time. Lil Janelle, Lil Janelle, six months old and the mom wanted to give her up and or something else. And instead Malik and the parents said, no, we will take her on full time. And he is a doting father, loves that little girl. Definitely seems like, you know, he, he is a good guy in difficult circumstances. He also has the temptation because he sees what drug money can can offer uh, right away. He has that temptation to get involved in that world, which repels him for now. You know, they, he, he does not get invited in. Right. Which thankfully his dad was keeping a pretty watchful eye over the situation. Again, why he, we know he comes from a good family. His dad, you know, was trying to, you know, pay attention to what he was up to. And, and here's the thing, you know, we saw this in what was the movie that we got to see with at ATX, the TV show where the boy basically does the side hustle of drugs 
Snowfall. This is a story that is not uncommon where you're basically he's making probably minimum wage, maybe a little bit better. But at the end of the day, like he knows that's not going to be enough to put his daughter in preschool or to buy diapers and do the stuff he needs to be to be independent. That is basically the premise of Snowfall. You know, the boy is smart. He is capable, um, but he's just working these part time, you know, minimum wage jobs. And he realizes he's never going to be able to get up and out unless he does like a side hustle. And it has to unfortunately be high stakes, high money side hustle, which always involves drugs or something illegal. Right. Yeah. So they are not portraying a, a character that does not exist in the world all the time. Shoot. All, a lot of us, you know, find ourselves being like, how are we ever going to get ahead in this rat race? And a lot of times it, you know, something illegal or something um, shady looks like could be the path to getting up and out. All so, the time. So I'm I'm hopeful, my fingers are crossed, that Malik is going to manage to stay on the straight and narrow. And that through these three episodes, that's about what we get out of him. We get that he's going to cross paths with Deja and that Deja is is very interested in him. And also this funny little sm small nugget, Paul, he seems to be a grill man. A grill man. <laughs> at such a young age. Yes, at such a young age. He is good on the grill. He he could show us all up yeah, at his grill I, skills. I, I have no grill skills. I don't know any high schoolers who are running the grill. Ever. No, no. That was never happening. The adults wouldn't trust that situation. No, we have like Totinos in the microwave. <laughs> Pizza rolls, Paul. Bagel bites. Exactly. <laughs> we weren't even grilling at all. No. We didn't know to do that. This is why Deja wants to take this particular bus route, Paul, because she's doing a little thing I call Malik spotting. It's like train spotting, but different. But Malik's. Yeah, she plays it real cool. She like does. It's it's about independence. About I used to drive ride the bus all the time. Right, and now it's about Malik spotting. <laughs> So it doesn't go well, though, right? I don't know how I would feel about our kiddos riding a, like a city bus like this. I definitely respect that they showed the exact scenario we'd all flip out about. A man creeping on you when you're just trying to get to school, right? That is the one and only thing that is ruining this bus trip, okay? And it happens right in front of Randall's eyes. And pretty much right away. Yes, Cause that's what happens on the bus. Have you been on a bus lately? Not for a long time. Dude, it's creepers and people who want to talk to you. Okay. It's all just people who want to talk to you. The last time when I was in Philly, let me just tell you this. I was taking this little, I cannot remember for the life of me what the little shuttle thing was named. It had a name and I'm sure it was something adorable like the Franklin fart bus or something. <laughs> something adorable, I'm sure. But as soon as I got on the bus, this older woman who was just probably riding the bus all day, needed to start yakking to me and talk to me until I got off the bus. <laughs> Never stopped talking to me. It was a rainy day and I was seeing the sights, so I wasn't necessarily like gonna hop off the bus, but Mabel was not going to leave me alone. I mean, she had everything from like the Macy's coupons that I should use at a shoe, shoe sale. She was gonna tell me about where's the best restaurants. I, I think she just has a bus ticket and she just rides all day, okay? This is what the bus is like, folks. It If you're not ready to talk, don't ride the bus. <laughs> the bus is not a solitary activity, as they found out. I thought it was sweet that Beth and Randall brought round their worst case scenario game. game. Yeah. I wondered if we could pull that off with our own kids. I'm afraid that their worst case scenarios would be so heinous. Yeah. Like they'd have us decapitated on the side of the road or something. A volcano be, going off under the house. It would. They would be so outlandish. Yeah. I'm afraid the game would be like... It'd be pointless. It would, yeah. it 
would be pointless. Good call. I'm glad right. we're on the same page on this. Like you're right. If a volcano goes off under the house, we all are dead. Fuck. Like yeah, and then and then what do we say? We just me and you just walk away. Like hell, oh boy, I hope there's no volcanoes. <laughs> like we're scared now too. But I I liked it that Randall like came around and was like, okay, Deja, you can take the bus, but you have to text me. I think that that was all super fair and and a, and a good compromise for them. Yeah. Do you think that this Malik storyline is going to get out of control? Well, it will seem to. You know, I don't know that it, it's not like he's, it doesn't look like he's old enough to drive or anything like that. Um, well, they live in such a situation. It seems that public transportation is the thing. You know, it seems like they live in the city. So that's all about public transportation. If that invite comes for the drug world, though, that could tie Deja up in something that would then all of a sudden also have um, implications since she's a councilman's daughter. Mm. If she gets found with a guy who's a drug dealer or a drug runner or something like that. Probably a runner, right? This is a, this is a bad deal. Right. You know, it's a big deal. Well, and not only that, but remembering you guys that Deja's mom, the whole downfall with mom was drugs and being involved with men with drugs in a way that managed to mess up their lives. Deja's one of the smartest characters on the show, though. Yes. You want to hope that, but but there's that awful, uh, Paul, when it comes to young love, you know, there's that thing where you're like, but he's a good man, you know, and, uh, I'm going to change his ways and he'll share. Mm-hmm. No, he's never going to change. He's not going to share. I mean, his, his idea of providing for his daughter is correct. It's- It's noble. It's, it's real. Just, there are rules. Yeah, it's 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 too fast for him. You know, it's unfair because his life like sped up and it, that's unfair because 16 year old boys aren't supposed to take care of babies. That's not the way life is supposed to work. They're terrible at it. Really. <laughs> exactly. OK, so I do want to point out one quick moment that's between Tess and Deja and they have this bonding. This has a lot to do with something that you and I have really been like complaining about, I want to say, since like a long time ago. We feel like the actresses who play Deja and Tess are perfectly capable of handling scenes alone, that the two of them could be in scenes and that it would be extremely reasonable that two teenage girls in a household would interact regularly. They would share clothes. They would talk about school. They would talk about boys and TV shows and music and hair stuff. And that's totally normal. Now, I know that Deja had a lot of rough edges, but at this point, I am so glad this finally came around that these moments of them being able to joke and laugh and talk to each other. Yes, this felt so much like the big three sitting on the floor talking about their day. I wanted so much more of this. Did you like it? Do you agree? Yeah, the sort of thing that if we're supposed to believe that they're developing into a sister type relationship should be happening frequently. Now, let me ask you this. Isn't the little one, Annie, wasn't she in Shazam? Wasn't she one of the foster kids? Wasn't she the littlest she foster kiddo? Yeah. I thought she was. And so the only reason why I mentioned that is because she was a part of a lot of, I mean, a lot of scenes and she held her own just fine. Now, I don't know how much was going on, you know, puppeteering behind the scenes with her, but it seems to me that she's very underutilized in the show. You know, I don't know if she has a lot of other things going on, like perhaps she was shooting Shazam in previous seasons. So maybe that's why she wasn't in very many scenes, but they could do more with her too. You know, it's always bewildering why Randall's kiddos don't get more action. You know, there's a lot to service with the big three. 
Very true. So let's get on to real quick though. We can't leave Tess. We can't leave Tess quite yet. Okay, Paul. We have this moment that I thought was real interesting because this is a small moment that again, if you haven't lived this life, if this isn't part of your story, perhaps you don't think about this, but Tess was upset because she had already come out and in her old school and with her family and everything. And she basically thought that once she came out, now she was a person in the gay community and she didn't have to do that again. But what she's sort of figuring out is that in every environment, in every new situation, meeting new people, she's going to have to mention this to them every time. Mm-hmm. That's not something, I'll be real honest, that's not something I ever thought about. That like, it's kind of, I guess I'm, I don't want to equate it to special needs, but I I will, from the standpoint of like anything that's outside of mainstream, super mainstream, you find yourself having to always explain what the situation is, like the mainstream, typical, whatever vanilla situation always calls for you to be like, let me explain why this situation's a little different for me. And so for us, I find we have to do it all the time. And that is something that wears us down. And for Tess, I could see the distress, that same distress of like, I thought once I kind of like did this and accepted this and told my truth, I would be done having to do that. Right. Was that like a new concept to you? Did you sort of ever think about that? No. I mean, what she said made sense because why would they know anything about it? It's it did. I mean, that's part of where we're at right now in uh, society's growth of wokeness, right? It's it's just everyone's assumed to be straight until proven otherwise, basically. Right. And part of that is is going to be her like learning how to handle that. Mm -hmm. And here's the other thing, though, to just be like super duper duper fair. I think that most women don't have a problem saying whether a man or a woman is attractive. Like we can objectively from the outside be like, yes, that that woman is attractive without necessarily being sexually attracted to her. In the case of this, where they said, don't you think that football player is attractive? Just because Tess is gay, I don't think it's outside the realm of reality that she could say, yes, he is handsome or cute or fine or whatever versus now nah, I don't I think he's ugly right like you could say that and not want to you know sexually be interested in him you know yeah. I know it was like a small example but I'm just saying like I, I feel like Tess is being too hard on herself I guess is what I'm trying to say like you're, you're still going to notice people around the world that could be of your same sex or opposite you know like don't be so hard on yourself that you're only supposed to see one yeah. group of people you know it, it, the I mean, I understand why they probably needed to have a conversation today, you know, that that kind of conversation would have had a little bit bigger impact a couple weeks in if she was talking to other girls about boys they like instead of boys they think are cute. I agree with you because that implies wanting to pursue like a relationship or something, right? Yeah. So you're right. I totally agree with you. And I think that's where the difference is. Like Tess shouldn't be hard on herself about saying he's cute or not cute. But I could see if you get pulled into these conversations of like, do you want to go to the dance with him? Then you have to say, actually, I want to go to the dance with her, (laughs) you know, then that's like when you start to have to share more about yourself generally, you know? Right, yeah. So, you know, and and Tess is going through a lot. They showed her with this haircut. They showed her with the hat kind of pulling it down on her head, which people were really reading that differently. Where the, Some people were reading it like she was finding her own style, like pulling on this little cap and kind of fixing her hair and being like, okay, I look cute. Some people were taking it like she didn't really dig what she looked like and she was kind of trying to hide, you know, her haircut and stuff. I think that a lot of things could be said. Could have been foreshadowing that she's going to feel like she has to hide who she is. I think that that's perfect. And I think 
not really knowing where she fits in is perfect anyway, right? For this age and stage. Deja is like very far along. She went through a lot. You know, Tess hasn't really gone through anything. She's had a pretty good life, you know? Yeah. So she's bound to have some craziness going on. Let's talk about Beth and Randall. Okay. The overall Beth thing we need to know is basically that she's opening a dance school. We haven't really gotten into that in one through three, just the preparations, some small preparations, flyers, that kind of thing. But we know coming up soon, we're going to really delve into her world. But right now we're far more into Councilman Randall. What do you think about Randall's desire to connect with constituents rather than fellow councilmen. I think that I really understood Jaywan's explanation of that at nearer to the end of that particular episode where he basically says, like, you know, we're not career politicians. This isn't something that you are just climbing the ladder. So we are wanting to make a difference in this particular community. Like you moved here to really change these individual people's lives. So to me, it just holds true to what Randall is doing. Now, here's the only thing that I have a little like, hmm, about. I think Randall does have higher aspirations. I think that it is very reasonable that he would move beyond councilman and move to like governor or mayor or whatever, you know? So I think it's a little short-sighted to box him into this idea. And maybe that's kind of what Bernice was saying, that Jaywan's not you know, experienced enough to understand that, like, I think when you get a taste of change, even a little bit, or I'll say it in a more ugly way, a taste of power, most people want to hang on to that power. Most people don't want to go back to being a little fish in a big pond. You know, they want their voice to be heard. So do I think that Randall at any point is going to be comfortable going back to just being head of household Randall? I don't think so. Do you think he'll be satisfied? Even if he manages to solve all the problems of Philadelphia and his his little section, do you feel like that will be enough? Or do you think when his term is over, he can just go back to being dad at home and be okay with not really being on a no. stage anymore? No, I see it going where, I mean, he has each season tried to accept larger and larger responsibility. First mm -hmm. dad, then uh Adopting a daughter, then adopting a building, now adopting a whole part of a city. Yeah. Um, yeah, it just makes sense that he would see, well, I mean, uh, this state could use some help or whatever. Oh, right. The larger city, couldn't you see him running for mayor and then governor or something like that? Like, I could really see that happening. So I think in that way, do I think it's, I don't think it's wrong that he's wanting to talk to the constituents. I think getting to understand what are the problems, who else are you going to ask? You know, if you don't really start listening to like what I'll, I'll, I'll be honest. Okay. So, um, so I was on the school board for Texas school for the blind for like 11 or 12 years. One of the very first things I did was I just out of like intuition was walk around and talk to people. Like I talked to the librarian and I was like, what is it that you need in here? Like, what are the things you're looking for? And I talked to teachers and I talked to staff. Now this isn't something that was like, promoted or anything I was asked to. It's something that like intuitively you're curious, like if I'm being tasked to like make decisions on behalf of all you guys, what is it that you need? You know, like I'm new here. I, I don't work here every day. What do you guys need? So I think it's natural what he's doing. Um, but I think that it's, they use the word naive. I think that's like dead on that. Like this probably isn't what you're going to be able to do very much longer. You know, maybe you could have a little bit of time 
to get some small, like a baseball field cleaned up or like some light bulbs replaced, but then you're going to have to hobnob with the other people. And, and ultimately I will tell you after that first year, I don't think I really did that again because what I, what I figured out too, is like going to the meetings and talking to the people who I'm voting with, not that we were talking about what we're voting on, but understanding the issues at that level ultimately dictated my job versus what my quote unquote constituents needed. Does that make sense? Oh yeah. So I know that's like not a beautiful way of saying that, but at the end of the day, you sort of needed to understand your parameters and restrictions and without hanging out with the other council people, I don't know that Randall really gets it yet, you know? So he's Mm -hmm. missing an opportunity there and certainly not putting value on what they could share with him. What do you think about Bernice, Paul? The concept of Bernice, the, the, the like loud, you're doing it wrong. Oh, I'd fire her too. I mean, do you think she's gone for good? Because I put out on Twitter that I don't think Bernice is gone for good. I think Bernice is going to either be rehired and I'll tell you why, because it was super similar to the Jack Miguel feeling of like the firing. And there was something to it that felt like somehow Bernice is going to be brought back because Randall's going to have some comeuppance about realizing that he needs to have voices like that around someone who is disagreeing with him. You can't always have yes men all around you, right? And so I feel like he might bring Bernice back. That's my little tiny prediction that we haven't seen the end of Bernice. Maybe. I mean, I think if I was Randall, I might find someone like Bernice. But not Bernice. But not Bernice. <laughs> if, if I found that I needed that contrary have you thought of it this way kind of opinion that, devil's I'm, advocate, that, right? I, that I wasn't getting with my existing staff. The the concept of, of need, needing to not have a nag around mm. is if you have the power to make that happen where that nag can just go away forever. How about though? I think, you know, what I'll say the most egregious thing I think was really the door situation. Right. That she was like, you have to put the door back on. It's against fire code. Now, she could simply have told him that or or put the memo with the fire code on it on his desk or something. But it was overstepping. It was make the guy put it back on. That was too far. Not her. Agree. I think that was way overstepping. She, however, was pretty right about Jay Wan. I mean, when she was preaching about how they're much more friends than they are like actual colleagues, wow, did they set that up good with the proposal talk. Every time he said, do you have time to listen about my proposal? What did you think he was talking about? Some initiative related to work. For sure. So then at the end, when it turns out that he was talking about a wedding proposal, a total personal thing. I was like, oh, damn, Bernice is right. (laughs) Like, because that was really, I can't believe how much he was like, talk about a nag, Paul. J1 was nagging him throughout his workday about listening to his proposal. I totally thought it was work-related. And no, it was just about him wanting to talk about what music to play during his wedding proposal. Like, whoa, who's being in a weird nag now, man? J1 is. J1. So. What do you predict is going to be happening with the Randall, Beth, children's storyline? Where are we going here? Hmm. Well, I think since they bothered to create a new character, I think that the A line of of that story is going to be Deja for a while. 
which is a little painful because didn't we kind of already say that like we appreciated Deja? I mean, what? Who's does the actress that played Deja? What relationship does she have with Fogelman? Like, <laughs> I really feel like this is like an imbalance within that family that within the show, I'm sorry, doesn't make sense. Like, there is no reason why Tess and Annie wouldn't have problems and wouldn't have like, why didn't Tess meet a girl? Why did we make it Deja meet Malik? You know, like we've Excellent already point. played Deja's story like front and center for a long time. Yeah. I don't know. But it I feels mean, weird. Yeah. And, and it's Annie, nothing against her. Annie, they've painted just as She's totally just like agreeable. a dog. She's literally like a dog who runs through the shot. And you're like, what a cute puppy. But she has nothing to do with the storylines, which is silly. We have three children. All three matter every day. Everybody <laughs> matters and plays a part. Like, that's not a thing. You don't have one kid who just blends into the woodwork. <laughs> I wish. Good night. It just doesn't happen. So, yeah, I think I, there's, I really hope they get some more balance in that household. And I'm interested in Beth Stant's storyline, although I really hope that it brings more complexity to her character, not just something to do. Like, I don't just want to see her running off to dance class. I hope that something she somebody, you know, is going to come into dance class that matters or her business practices are going to become questionable or maybe, you know, something, something, you know what I'm saying? Like something to where there's actually a layered storyline with it. And it's not just like an activity Beth's doing. Because we've already seen the, you know, you're just teaching, you know, housewives to spin. Right. We've already seen him belittle her work. Right. So I want it to matter. That's not going to happen again. It's got to be something else. Intriguing. I don't know what will happen, but I look forward to it, Paulo, because I do like them. I do like that crew. And I do appreciate everything that was happening. Those That haircut moment. Oh, I feel that. I feel that because I've had our children come out and me be like, oh, I hope this goes well. <laughs> I hope they're cool with this hairdo. This past summer, Carolyn and I went to ATX, and one of the things they had there was a Lifetime Achievement Award that they gave to Felicia Rashad. There was an interview period where Felicia was the panelist, and the moderator was actually Susan Kalichi Watson. A.K.A. Beth. And Which they really didn't advertise. They were just talking about Felicia Rashad, Felicia Rashad. Yeah. And then at the last second, when we were like looking at the like uh, panels available that day, we were like, oh, uh, like Beth's is actually the moderator. And I can tell you that in person, Felicia Rashad is about the most dignified person you've ever laid eyes on. Susan is is a kind of like a more um, even a more exuberantly happy person of Beth or version of Beth. But together, you could tell that they actually do share a warmth and familiarity that was charming to see because they would sit next to each other very close on the couch and kind of look at Susan's notes to see what she was going to ask. And Felicia would say, oh, you're not going to ask that. (laughs) Felicia. Yeah. She's so cute. Yeah. I love that. I love that as, as, as their real selves. See, those two are examples to me that do not fit that Kevin actor persona of like, oh, I'm a lost, you know, empty sack in the wind when I'm not being told what to do. Everything about those two women seems like when they walk off that set, they know exactly who they are and exactly what they're doing. And there's nothing about them that seems like they're being puppeted around, you know? No. 
No. I mean, when Felicia described her, her career, it all sounded like you may think of her as just being Mrs. Huxtable. And now all of a sudden she's guest starring on this. And then there's like a 20 year gap in between. And that's not really true at all. I think she's worked that entire time, but she has an appreciation for the stage. So, so she's worked on stage a lot too, but it's all been very deliberate and purposeful by by the sounds of the way she describes it you know doing work that she feels is important to her that that's not like what kevin was talking about right and i think that that's where maybe that's the pre finding your way actor where like you don't you don't have the cloud or you don't have the vision yet of what your what your role could be to be impactful and where felicia you know really quickly managed to find her way and be like Every time I do a role, I'm going to make it something that's meaningful to me and that is like serving a purpose, a greater purpose, um, which is what totally leads to us feeling like she's so dignified. Like we feel like she stands for something. She is, you know, saying something that that matters. And that is like fully what what makes you feel like she is just like a woman with a mission, you know, Mm -hmm. which is like one of the most beautiful women that there possibly could be as a as a woman standing there with a with a real sense of who she is and what she's doing is like man she i mean i know you were like captivated by her very much so and here's here's your felicia rashad trivia for the day oh i want to hear that she's from houston oh i love it yeah well you know those houston ladies there aren't very many famous ones really dignified full of purpose right and the most beautiful woman you ever did see right Right. Yeah. It, she had, I mean, her sister was also very famous as a, oh, yeah. as a, as a dancer. Teddy Allen. And, uh, so she, um, Susan asked her something like, so, so just like word association, I'll tell you a name and you tell me a word. And she said, Debbie Allen. And Felicia said, trouble. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Yeah. That's like siblings through and through. Right. Yeah. I just love her. I, she's so cool. And I know we're going to see a lot more of her in the coming episodes. And so I look forward to her playing, you know, Beth's mom. Her name's Carol. Getting to see. It, it's cool the way that they have Beth having lost her dad and Randall having lost his dad. I know I saw previews for coming episodes for like four or five, something like that, where you have um, Rebecca and Carol meeting. They both just lost their husbands relatively, you know, recently. Mm-hmm. And so to see how different people and different families grieve and and move on or not um it's interesting you know it really again it's that this is a slice of the pie where you get to see a variety of life you know right yeah so getting into a variety of life paul we're gonna get into kate toby and jack the demons if you will we saved them because their story is more personal to us if you recall from podcasts last season when they had this premature baby we basically said, unless they give this child some sort of disabilities, then we're calling bullshit and we're quitting the world. Well, guess what? My friend Lauren, shout out to you, Lauren, and my friend Steph have both questioned me as to if the This Is Us writers perhaps had heard us say that because they in fact made Baby Jack blind. And as you guys know, as listeners, our eldest daughter is blind from ROP and is also hearing impaired. We very much respect what they've decided to do with this. And let's talk a little bit about how they revealed this to us. Okay, It is not easy to watch necessarily, but it is... It is right. I can respect what they're doing. Yes. So let's talk about it. So when we first see adult Jack, okay, baby Jack, adult, 
we see his bare booty, Polly. Okay. I thought it was Kevin at first. I definitely thought it was Kevin. I think everyone in the universe thought we were looking at bare ass Kevin. But then he was too skinny. And then I was like, well. Well, he was very young, right? Very young comparatively, right? Right. How quickly did you catch on that he was blind? And did you know that the actor himself is visually impaired? And I'm going to be very cautious about that word um, because to the sighted world, it may seem very much like who cares? You either you're either sighted or blind. That is not the case, guys. And you really do know that if you took a moment. I'm going to say he's visually impaired because I'm not certain and I haven't read what his actual vision loss level is. But I think it's amazing that they found an actor who has any visual impairment to play someone who is blind. I think that that's wonderful. It's an important and growing concept that Hollywood is trying to sort out right now is how true to the character does the casting need to be? Can someone that doesn't come from a certain walk of life portray someone that is one way or the other? And in some cases, I think they're finding, no, it's it's okay if you have this person play that person, as long as they do a good job. In other cases, I think Critics and, and audiences are, are starting to say things like, you know, this opportunity should have gone to somebody who's who's walked that walk. And it and I, I agree with you and I and I find it I find it terribly tricky. If I was a casting agent right now, I would find this extremely difficult because you really just have to find the right person because it comes down to like just because he's blind is not why he's a good Jack Damon. Okay, that's one part of who Jack Damon is, the character. And it's great that they could match the real life visual impairment into that like slot. But I look at Jack Damon as just like I would look at any other character as like a multi slotted person. Right. Mm -hmm. One part of his personality is that or his being is that he is blind. Okay, so it's awesome that they could match that. But he also needed to match physically to the family. You know, he couldn't be super dark skin. He couldn't be, he needed to look like he fit in, right? Yeah. Also, they were planning on him having this wonderful singing career. Well, he also needs, I mean, in theory, in theory, I know you could do voiceovers and stuff. In theory, you'd like to find an actor who also could fit the slot of being a singer, right? Having yeah. a good voice. So I think that there's parts to it when you can find a person who can like I don't I'm 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 like so like doing gestures in my hand right now. I'm like thinking of it as having like this slotted thing and having like beans or something over here. And every time I can fill more beans in the slots, you're doing a more genuine, authentic job of finding that character. But you're not always going to. And I think that you shouldn't give someone who has a disability, like he shouldn't have gotten the part because he was blind or visually impaired. He needed to also be able to look like a Pearson, fit in with the group, be able to be musical, you know, all the different parts. For me, and I'm a mom of special needs kids, this is still important to me that he can still do the job. It's not, it shouldn't just be just because. And I feel it that way across the board. It's not like just because someone's in a wheelchair, just because someone has hearing loss or whatever. That's not an automatic. You still have to fill in more slots, right? Yeah. To be able to be a good match. Like, How, uh, however, don't miss that slot. Like the show Atypical, the lead is yes. does not have autism in real life, mm -hmm. but he plays someone with autism. Keir Gilchrist, I think his name is. And he 
portrays this character with autism and he does it astoundingly well. I mean, as as parent as a parent of of children with autism, he says not like an exact match for our kids or anything like that, but I, but it's a spectrum disorder, you know. So mm-hmm. I could see where he definitely did his research very well and none of it comes off like a caricature or making fun or anything. It is it is played very very well. And this last season of Atypical they did bring in um, mm. a support group for his character where all of the members of the support group were actually a- autistic actors. Um, so that was a way to to get the both best of both worlds, a professional actor portraying someone with autism plus actual autistic actors on all you know, synergizing and it, and it, and it was pretty cool. Yeah. And I, so I think that's a, that is a game of balance for sure. Right. Where, where you're trying to fit in the most amount of, of slots, right. That where, yeah. where that actually fits in, in the case of the supporting role, um, where people could have all different levels of needs, it was okay to have people of all different levels of needs and they could fully fulfill their, their um role you know and that was okay it doesn't always work like that and and i want to say that you and i as advocates in the special needs world would never want anyone to be put in a role that was inappropriate just because they have the matching disability does that make sense like i don't Mm. want you to put somebody in just because they have whatever the character has if they really can't fulfill the rest of the roles, they still have to have the talents to match up. Cause otherwise it's kind of like a messy reverse discrimination strangeness. Like you're only giving it to them because they have the disability. Like there's something weird about that, mm-hmm. you know, that it's like, no, just be real. Don't discount people who have special needs of any sort. Um, but of course they still need to be able to do whatever the job is. Um, and I, f- I feel that fully, you know, um, so where, where this gets easier to define is, you know, people basically playing the wrong nationality or the wrong race or something like that. That's more like, right. oh, duh, you know. Yes. Like, and like, that's a really super example of like, there's a lot of other people who, if you say the defining feature of this character is that they're coming from this culture, right? They're, it's it's Bob Marley is who we're going to portray. Then what are you doing? You know, yeah. like you have to, then you, the slots have priorities, you know, and, and you need to fill those. I, I don't know the name of the movie, but there's a movie where Marlon Brando plays a Mexican and he's, and he, they put him in makeup and mm. give him a little mustache in a very, you know, like pre woke kind of way. Mm. That's like shameful. You get embarrassed even just watching it. You're like, yeah, good Lord. How'd they, how'd they do that? It's that people didn't realize, you know, I, I suppose if you if you flipped the other way, was this a time when Marlon- John Wayne is Genghis Khan? <laughs> well, hang on, but let me let me flip it the other way. And, and I'm not I'm playing a wee bit of Bernice here, a little devil's advocate for you. But at the time that Brando did that or at the time that John Wayne did that, were they considered the best actors of the day? Well, or was this early in their career? Brando, what? probably. Yes. And John Wayne would be considered very bankable. Okay. So the only reason why I say that is because when you're filling out the slots, right? I said talent matters too, right? Mm-hmm. So if if the, if at the time the casting person said, okay, the most important thing is that this person is talented enough and has the, like, the bankability to bring in the audience and stuff, they prioritize that over nationality. Authenticity. Right. Well, nationality. 
nationality. Okay. So it's not that it wasn't authentic because if they played the part very well, but they did the wrong accent, if the accent was on the slot list, then they put that below. Can you deliver lines in a way that makes it believable? Right. Mm -hmm. Which is acting, right? The talent part. What that's what makes this so tricky is like, how do you know when to change the priority list? And I think what we're getting to a lot is, well, if you're telling the story where their culture matters, it bumps it up the priority <laughs> list. If you're telling a story where their special challenge, whatever it is, matters to their character, okay? It's not just like they hurt their leg and they have a cast for a week, but this is something where they're going to have a limp for the entire storyline and it matters, then it needs to be bumped up the priority list. Does that make sense? So I think yeah. that's where the shift is, but it's hard to know when to bump those up. Getting back to this, because it's important that we do, you guys, a blind person being portrayed on TV is very sensitive to Paul and I, and especially blind babies, blind parents, you are now getting, or I will say a parents of a blind child, right? You are getting into some really sensitive ground for Paul and I. Some of this stuff that they showed in these episodes, I would like to think maybe could be true, but have not happened in our experience. Let's talk about some of this stuff, okay? okay. So let's talk about the this idea that we have them finding out that the baby is indeed going to be blind, that there isn't going to be any treatment. That part, what did you think? Authentic, not authentic. They have mom, dad sort of sitting there. They seem to sort of know. I'll tell the listeners, since I don't need to tell you because you were there. Yeah. Um, we found out about all this when our babies were still in the hospital. They were still small enough that they were there round the clock. And so... The uh, development of ROP, which is called retinopathy and prematurity, it's just it's a it's a problem that only premature babies born before about 32 weeks can get. Eye doesn't grow right is the short version. It has and, to do with specifically with the retina pulling away. And they have to either fix it with a laser and hope that that works like it did with one of our daughters, or they can try to do other stuff and that doesn't always work. So we did not find out just in a doctor's office where we got to just take our baby home afterwards and be like, boy, that was a heck of a day. This was and I would say worse than that. Steps to it. So like what happens at first in ROP is not like for us, at least I'm only going to speak for us because you guys, you might say, no, I know other people have ROP and this is how their story went. We can only speak to us. But for us, like he said, like Lauren had eight eye surgeries. So this was a, this was a stair-stepping situation of worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. So it's not like there was one moment, one day where they said she's blind early on. You know, we went through all these surgeries. Now, was there a day when they came in and said she's blind? Yes, that day did happen. And it was terrible. And it looked a lot different than what it looked like with Kate and Toby. But there was the one day when the doctor the, basically the said surgery, the, when the surgery didn't, the surgery didn't go as didn't well happen. As, as he'd hoped. It was like the after surgery when they review with you. And instead of being out in the waiting room when they talked to you, they took us in one of the tiny rooms, which is when you know you're going to get bad news because they don't want you to freak out in front of everybody. And uh, they told us terrible news. Yeah, that it just it. They'd hoped for better results and they don't think it's going to work is what they said. And and so then it was sort of a waiting game to be like, well, when she could get test results, you know, that sort of thing. But we were pretty much prepared at that point with the concept that she was not going to have any really usable sight. Very much like Kate in this in this sequence, the realization of what that means sinks in at different points in time. I would say that you were extremely upset 
in that exact moment. Like you seem to absorb that a lot more than I did. I don't think I absorbed fully that for a long time, actually. And so when some of these things, let's talk about like this idea of bringing over this specialist who comes over and tells you how to, how to, how to raise your blind baby. You guys, if this person exists, they certainly did not 17 years ago. No. And, and we, we live in Houston. Everyone. With one of the largest medical complexes in the United States. And we literally asked everyone. We were like, who can we talk to? Who can we talk to? Who can we talk to? And it took a long, long time. So the idea that baby is is being diagnosed as blind and then immediately you have this woman who just comes to your house and tells you how to deal with safety and all this stuff. You guys, that is not the way it happened. Ultimately, did we get information? Absolutely. Ultimately, did we find the right people, the, the people who could come out like outreach and stuff like that from other cities? Actually, it wasn't from you. Some people came in from Austin and taught us stuff. Absolutely. But it was not this like dial a woman to tell you how to deal with your blind baby. That part, of, part was it's a little irritating to me because it's so hard to find your way when you start that it's annoying to me that they made it so simple. Part of our sort of gallows humor during that period revolved around the idea that if you go to a doctor that can deliver like life changing diagnoses, I think it would be cool if that doctor had like a little pamphlet stand that said things like, so you're blind or, or whatever. Which that, would be ironic anyway to have a pamphlet right. that said that. Well, maybe so your child is blind or right. some, something right. so that at least you had a couple of phone numbers or something of where to start. Because and we literally asked. We asked that surgeon when we left that office and we were told, pay your copay. Like there's there Because I said, I remember saying these exact words. Is there such a thing as like a blind baby teacher? Do you remember me saying those exact, that exact phrase? Yeah. And then looking at me like I was a lunatic. It's crazy. Like you're in the eye, the baby eye business. <laughs> but it, of course it exists. You guys, just so you know, in case you have anyone in your lives, there are visual, visual impairment. They're called VIs. There are VI instructors out there in the world who absolutely deal with infants and toddlers and stuff like that. They absolutely exist. But the disconnect between a parent with a diagnosis and getting the resources you need is huge and is an important part of why this is so hard and it sucks. That part to totally just like gloss over that, like you could just easily get help is like, not really, you know, it's really actually pretty complicated to find someone who can actually work with you, yeah. you know? So I want to say that. Okay. But I appreciated a couple of things. The overwhelming amount of information that the blind specialist was giving, that was very familiar. The you need to close the doors and close drawers. You remember that? Yeah. Oh my God. We were told that a hundred thousand times. Now you guys, here's the funny thing. Our daughter is completely blind. Okay. However, she is the first one to slam doors close, slam drawers closed. Like she will walk up to something with her hand out and the second she feels it, she closes it. Now she's old now. Okay. She's 17 now, almost 17 now. But even when she was little, that was like a characteristic. So it's kind of funny to me that it's like the most important thing you can do is close the doors and drawers. We were told the same thing. Also, babies adapt, kids adapt, like they freak you out as a parent, but it's really those kind of details that you would fret about moment by moment aren't actually the, the things you need to really be scared about. Yeah, of our three kids, Lauren somehow had innately better balance. 
Like, oh my God. She was so strong and so with it. She still is. It's crazy. Like almost never fell over. Almost never. No, no. Okay. So one of the moments that I would say that really hit me and is in, is was very accurate was when she was trying to describe, Kate was trying to describe all the different things that they had done at the house. And she said, and we got this really big screen TV because we wanted Jack to be able to watch the Steelers really young. And then she stopped and then she started crying. That is an extremely real moment of like, it doesn't hit you all at once. Like you, someone can say your baby's blind and you can be like, we can do this. But then you start f- having those moments of like, we bought this huge TV for our baby to watch the football game with us. And he's never going to watch a football game. And that happens, you guys, forever, forever. There's every, sometimes it happens very quickly, like back to back to back. And sometimes you go six months and then something, someone says something and you're like, my child's never going to experience that. And it's, it's It's, hard. it's, it's, It's not a wound that scabs over very quickly. It's not. And it's something that you probably uh, people would say is very similar to grieving a death where, you know, you de- you you think you deal with it once, you know, you deal with the funeral and you do all that stuff. And people have some understanding that like it's forever going to be a sensitive spot. But I don't think people understand that about diagnoses, that it's like it's forever going to be a little part of you that is grieving that you've lost something. You know, we've lost a child that that we thought had sight. And then now we don't have that child and that child we grieve. And so for us, it's like when it comes up, when someone brings something up, like driving is a huge thing right now. Our girls are 16. Right. All of our, all of their people in their peer you group kids? are getting- yep. How old are they? 16? Oh, I bet you're getting ready for driving. Actually, now I have to go into my spiel. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like, And so that's a moment where it's like ripped off again. And you're like, your little heart like sinks because you're like, and as good parents and hopeful parents are like Kate and Toby and, and we are, we try to turn around and say, but, you know, um, thank goodness for things like Uber and, you know, all these things coming like she can be more independent and, and all these things are out there and things are going to change and better technology and blah, blah, blah. But at the end of the day, you still have that sucker punch moment where you're like, you know, you're back in that doctor's office. You're back feeling that same terrible feeling. So I appreciated that moment very, very much. And I appreciated the call to the family by Kate saying, we want to be hopeful. We want to be happy. The children can feel your stress. In this case, Jack can feel your stress, can feel your worries, can feel your angst, which we have found. Um, our daughter is blind. However, we make it a point to tell people that when you're when you're signing with her in her hand, even though she cannot see your face, we make it a point to say to people to smile. And and we even talk out loud in a cheerful, happy voice because there is something about the way that your hands move and your body responds and the vibes you're putting out that she 100% responds to. Even if you could be saying signing the same exact thing to her, if you're saying it in a smiling face signing, it's coming off like softer and smoother and kinder than if you're not. And so things like that, like I appreciated her doing this call out hopefulness and good thoughts, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. I think that that was super accurate. Let's talk about how the difference between how men and women cope with stuff like this. What have you found, Paul, that's like really different about dads in the special needs worlds versus moms? What have you found in your experiences? Most dads are not prone to wanting to do a lot of talking about it. That's that's one thing. We have found, unfortunately, that some dads skedaddle like right out of the situation. 
thing shit just got real, yo, and then then it's over. Um, so that's unfortunately one part of it. Well, you've met tons though. I'm I'm just saying like a generic like I think the thing that I feel like is probably most common to me that I can think of is denial. Straight up denial. And that comes typically with things like autism, things that are maybe not yeah. such like a physical like if they can't see, they can't see. It's the harder for invisible disabilities. Right. It's harder for a dad to deny if a child is blind, but if you have some sort of anything anything that is like what you said any type of mental issue any type of invisible disability dads have a really rough time there is i don't i can't think of a dad that we've interacted with that didn't have that moment of you can't discipline this out of them yeah there is no amount of consequences there is no amount of yelling this is part of their disability that and has been a theme with dads it's hard it's, it's weird how how they just or we have a hard time with that and they and, and it and it takes like irrefutable in your face over and over again years and years of data and proof to be like this is the issue mm-hmm. and as long as we don't treat it we're not making any real progress with helping our child get on with their life. And and punishing in any way for things that are known symptoms of this exact condition we are saying your child has. It's never the mom. I've never I've never run into a scenario where the where it's the mom that is like, no, no, no. Right. That if I just spank them enough, if I just put them in timeout enough, if yeah. I just yell at them enough, you're right. I haven't found I for and this is only our isolated experiences, though we've met many, many, many families. But dads, dads have this idea that somehow some amount of discipline is going to snap them out of this. They're going to be able to suddenly follow directions. They're suddenly going to be able to stop twirling around or stop waving their hands or stop whatever they're doing. If you could just make them up, you know, like scared enough, basically, that they'll stop it. And of course, that does not work, folks. Let's that's our PSA for today. Uh, <laughs> disciplining. You cannot discipline a special need out of your child. There you go. That's it. You have to address it in actual treatable ways. That just is what it is. The idea that one parent decides to go to the gym and becomes like super like uh, activity heavy. I think that is dead on. I think me and you have traded in that spot, right? I did CrossFit for a while. I immediately went and ran a marathon after having all the kids yeah. and then proceeded to continue to go running for like years a lot because there was that sense of if I can't control what's going on externally, but I can control my own body. And so if I could be stronger, faster, whatever, that at least that was something that I could do. Meanwhile, I was carrying 50 pounds too much on a five foot six frame. That's <laughs> that's n- that's not a good look, people. It is not the current look, however, people. Um, and so, but over time, like that was something we've we have waxed and waned on that. And I mean, I think both of us are in um good shape for our age and our lives right now. The good weights, good shape, all that kind of good stuff. But it took a long time to get here, and we certainly like zigged and zagged in terms of you know one of us was working out really hard and the other one couldn't for a lot of reasons. Like one of the one of the things that Toby has the luxury of is knowing that Kate's at home taking care of the baby, so he could go to the gym. Not everybody has that luxury, you know. When, when we had three babies at home, the concept of just you know a little time to oneself. That was laughable. That was like a betrayal. Well, so let's talk about that. The fact that Toby takes time for himself, is it a betrayal? What do you think? Well, I mean, with our situation with three babies, 
it was definitely, you were constantly busy. There was never a second really where you were able to take a, take a moment. I can't exactly relate your point earlier about there, that there's someone home with the baby and it's just one baby that from, from a dad of three, that seems like, okay, yeah, what's the big deal, (laughs) yo? (laughs) Right. Okay. But so, but okay. All right. I'm going to get down to this with Toby. I have zero issue with why he wanted to go to the gym. I think that a lot of viewers forgot that he had that heart attack. A lot of people are forgetting that scene of him smashing through the glass coffee table at Christmas time and how horrific that was and how awful that all was. So the fact that we lived through that with him, that wasn't a flashback, that wasn't some spoken memory, but we saw it happen. We went to the hospital with Kate and everything as viewers. Then the fact that he would feel a calling to be as strong as he could be, to be at the best shape he could be, I think would have happened whether he had a baby that had a special need or not. But I do think it was like compounded by having a baby who couldn't see. Um, Certainly you and I know that there are some people um, who have to lift their child at throughout adulthood yeah. who do have to make it a point for them to stay physically fit as the adult. Even middle age. Because they have to physically hold an adult person and move them from a bed to a wheelchair or whatever. Like we know these people. Because if you can't, you need a nurse. It's a or whole Or you thing. have to put them in a, or in a center. Right. Or you're sacrificing your loved one's physical body. Like they get bed sores or they're not they're not moving around enough because you can't physically carry them around. Yeah. So, so there's nothing inherently wrong with Toby wanting to be stronger, healthier and all those things. I mean, as wife, I'll say the number one thing that went completely off the rails here, it's the lying. It's the, what are you talking about? I'm just sweaty from the day. And he doesn't want to take his shirt off. And she's like, take your shirt off. And he's what? I'm a mess. And he like, doesn't admit it. He doesn't just say up front what's going on. The whole concept of like keeping that, that's what is going to make you like break down into tears. I mean, it would have been a lot easier if you had just said why he needed to be away and what he was doing. It does admittedly get messy because you have Kate with her own weight issues. So then it gets so, do you want to come to the gym too? Or like, if you don't want to go to the gym or like, should I make time for you? It seems like the right thing to do maybe, and I'm just going to throw this out, would be if they, if he had been up front at some point, right? So say he was exercising and Stephanie realizes like, this is something I'm going to keep doing. Like it, this wasn't just like a flash in the pan. I went out for a walk or a run, right? right. But I'm, I'm going to keep like, doing like this. Jack in the boxing uh, gym. Exactly. That's a perfect example of like blowing off steam, right? This isn't blowing off steam. I want to keep doing this. At that point, he needed to come to Kate and say, hey, listen, you need breaks sometimes. I need breaks sometimes. On my breaks, I'm going to choose to go to this CrossFit class. Zero pressure to you at all. But I want you to take breaks too. And if that means you and Madison go, you know, do an activity or you go see your mom or you go do whatever, go see a movie, whatever you want to go do, you know, let's schedule out some time that's just for you. And I'm going to schedule some time for just for me. We have one kid. We can do this. You know, we have grandparents who live nearby, all this stuff like we can do this. That's where I wish he came to her and like had that moment, you know, mm-hmm. um, because I think we kind of did. Like I, I know like you guys might say like, well, when the hell did you run, Caroline? My thing met at 530 in the morning. So I would run before the whole day started. 
Um, so I wasn't taking time away. I was taking time away from my sleeping, but I wasn't taking time away from what I needed to do in a day. Um, and same for Paul, like things that he was going to do, we would find times when either like now we work out together. So it's not something that's like one or the other is taking time away. Right. Mm hmm. But this just gets this just gets so dicey because of Kate's own problems. That you maybe know? is why he didn't say anything because of her instant reaction. I know, and and really, I mean, could be cruel to think of it this way, but he's ultimately only responsible for his own self fully. You know, in in terms of like health and and fitness and stuff like that. He can't. It, it's highly unsuccessful to take her on because she's proven she's going to do what she's going to do. The kick in the ass is. Do you remember? Remember back at way more close to the beginning when Kate was so serious and weighing out their food and doing everything and Toby was just like eating whatever. Yeah. yeah. And she was getting so dis not disappointed too strong. What's the right what I want to say? Just frustrated, I guess. That like that like he would say he wanted to really try, but then he really, really wouldn't. Um, so it's it, it like it sucks that they just are on different pages. You know, like I said, there were different times for us and it is stressful. Like if, if you were heavier and I was and I was thinner, that was stressful. If I'm heavier and you're thinner, that's stressful. It's really hard when workout and and eating wise, you aren't on the same page as a couple. It does work better if if everyone is on the same program. It sucks though, because you're two different people with like two different like levels of stress and things going on in your life. Like Toby clearly has this full-time gig that he's trying to, his job, his regular job, that lunch meeting thing, you know, where he's like meeting the clients. Oh man, did you see that coming that, that the whole deal is she couldn't fit in the booth? Yeah. I mean, the, the booth did? looked really it looks Squeezy. so little. I know. The killer in that thing, of course, you know, I mean, of course people are ignorant and whatever, but you want to like shake that hostess. Like you could see the paper you're seeding, right? Like, I mean, arg, you're trying yeah. to squeeze them in here. Holy crap. Uh, but that was still heartbreaking and, and like another moment for her. I personally really need Kate to have some other issues going on that are not her weight. Because, you know, Toby's had depression. Toby's had things go on in his life. He had a divorce. He had all things that that he he has like a, a complicated parent story and all that stuff, you know? Yeah. But for Kate, it feels like every time that they need to add something to the storyline having to do with Kate, it's about her weight. Mm. You know, I feel like for, for three seasons now, we've been saying like, she's got to have something else going on, right? Now, if it's going to be having a blind baby, I just hope that they find a way to do this where, again, you, she just doesn't become so one note, you know, all about this one situation, you mm -hmm. know? So I really loved the neighbor meetup. Yeah. You were familiar with that actor? Nope. No? But, but I got familiar with him uh, as a result of this show. It Continuing with the theme of using actors who have walked a certain walk in in a role they this role was apparently written for this actor because he had had a stroke and he was interested in coming back to work it Th was perfect this is not an act really this is s someone that's actually had to go through these steps i loved it i loved the way that they brought him into the storyline and folded him in and basically had this entire moment the summation of the whole spiel was 
everybody's got shit going on. Like you are not special. You know, you're sitting over here crying because your husband went to the gym and you have a baby who's blind. Well, I had to learn how to eat and drink and walk and talk. And life is hard. Like, welcome to the world, baby girl. You know, like everybody's working on a project. It's not just you. And she needed that comeuppance, man. She needed it. It was very infrequent that parents of three special needs kids would get one up. It happened. <laughs> it did happen. Every once in a while. But... Usually we won that one. <laughs> oh, I don't know if it's a win, but yeah, I mean, few people tried to one up us. I would say in that we were, department, we were not in the same league. Hey, so I I, I saw that the neighbor is going to continue to come back in, and it looked like they're going to continue to like. It looked like he she was going to try to go walk with him, which I thought was a really special and nice way to layer in like her taking care of herself and her being supportive of someone else because that was very like Kevin needing the ficus and needing Nikki and stuff. It's like, maybe you'll get better and feel better about yourself if you stop focusing on wah wah you and start thinking about maybe you could take a walk with the neighbor. You know, maybe your neighbor could use a little support. I wonder if the dog is going to figure into the baby a little bit later because, mm. well, you know, conceptually, what what if, if a blind person has one distance sense to rely on, what is it? Of course, you're hearing. Right. What's the dog's name? Audio. There you go. <laughs> well, and he's music musical kid, right? Yeah. So that's obviously all going to play in for sure. I totally agree. Um, and I loved all the little humor, though, that the neighbor brought in, too. Like, that was so cool. And like, he's like, this is me storming away. Watch out. <laughs> you'll miss it. Like, that was Funny and cool and well-delivered and just perfect. Just perfect. Loved it all. Okay, so part of the thing that this is the going back to the whole like, does it take the impact out of it? We see this family struggling with, you know, this entire situation of having a blind baby. However, due to episode one, we know that baby Jack grows up to be a successful, loving responsible adult man who's talented and confident. Um, we have that fast forwarded situation with the with Lucy, the waitress, where they date, they get engaged, they get married. She's pregnant and she's opening her own restaurant and he has this big concert. I mean, does that take out any of the angst and struggle of seeing the young couple with the baby if you know the baby grows up to be a happy, healthy person? There are some elements that do get kind of smoothed over. Like if we're never going to see him get into a, a fatal car wreck. We're never going right. to see him, you know, at least as a child, get right? on a plane that's going to go down or, right. or, or something. You know, we're not going to see any of that stuff. The other future storyline, you know, the the um, Rebecca in hospice care at Kevin's house um, storyline, that was left deliberately fuzzy where it concerned Kate and baby Jack. And so that whole part of it can still deliver, you know, gut punching surprises. Well, because they said Jack's coming with her or something like that, which now we have another her, Lucy. It could very well be his wife that he's coming with. You know, yeah, and there's no reason why it couldn't be. I don't. Do you remember if they told us how far in the future this is? Is it like he looked about thirty? I mean, didn't he? I mean, no, no, no. Rebecca's death. Oh no, is, they didn't say. But do we have any? It's old. It's it's far enough down the road that Tess would be a social worker, like an established person, right? But baby Jack's only a baby right now and Tess is like 13. So how old, we could do some math, right? 
So, but those aren't necessarily at the same point in the future. Oh shoot! Well, then why'd you bring her up? Who did we see that was at Nikki Soul Live? Right, we know that. And Vietnam vets are in their seventies, like right now. You know, okay. So you can't really go like thirty years. The thing is, that's so weird. Is that here's here's the like eyeball roll. We don't see Kevin, and we we only saw Randall, if you recall, right? The thing that's weird is that knowing how old Randall would be, or supposedly be, right? Now we may be getting this all wrong because now we're right. We saw Tess way in the future as an adult. We saw Grade Randall, but you're right that it can't be that far because Nikki is not that much older. You know what I mean? Like maybe mm. 10 years older or something, but not like 30 years older. Mm-mm. And that matters because then baby Jack can't be 30 when Rebecca dies. Mm-mm. Okay. So why that also matters is that we think that that little boy that came out, who's only like eight or nine, is Kevin's kid. Mm-hmm. So Kevin can't be 60 and be with Cassidy and have that little eight-year-old boy. Right. Like, so there's there's more like it's, confusion there. I think we're looking more in the maybe... 10 to 15 year range for the for the Rebecca hospice t- timeline. I th- I'm going to go with 10 because I That'd would be say enough time for Tess to go to college and get her first job. And enough time for Kevin and Cassidy to get together in the next year or two and have a baby and that baby be 8 years old. Yeah. So I'm given it's only 10 years, which makes baby Jack only like 10 years old. And, th- and that's plausible that Nikki, who could be late 60s, early 70s right now, would still be alive, even though he's had some pretty hard living these he past He certainly few has. Years. He certainly has. So yeah. So okay. Very intriguing. I'm glad that we kind of figured that out a little bit. So I was going to ask you, how do you think this all plays into the future? And if Lucy was going to be that her, but I, it's impossible for Lucy to be that her. If Kevin's the dad of that like eight-year-old kid. Mm-hmm. Now, could they have adopted a kid at like 60? Sure. But if we're just going by what we think, I mean, that kid, they tried to make him look like Kevin. That's for darn sure. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think. I was trying to do all the math. I'm like trying to be like, could it be something else? Toby didn't look insanely old either. Like he looked older, but not 50 years older or something, you know? Mm-hmm. So intrigue, intrigue. All right. Well, so the, that that pretty much wraps up our episodes one through three coverage. I know this was long, you guys. I'm, I'm proud of you all for hanging in there who did. You guys did a great job. Um, like I said, we're going to continue to chunk out our episodes just because the way that they're storytelling like this, we just feel like if we just talk about one episode, there's just such a tiny nugget of the story, you know, that there's so much more to talk about if we give it a couple of episodes. That's our game plan for this season. We will be covering Mrs. Maisel that's coming up and only we think it's coming up early December or late November. Last time it came out in um, Thanksgiving. So we're super excited about that. Paul is super interested in the Watchman. Do we say Watchman? Watchman. I said watch man. Watch man. I'm sorry. It's because I'm reading it off of- Nerdle. Uh, it's because I'm reading it off a board. So I said the watch man, but it's Watchmen. I got it. Yeah. Um, and that's actually starting up in just a couple of days. So let us know if you guys want some coverage on that. We might have to have some like Paul the Smarty and Caroline the Dope on that one because I know nothing uh, about this at all. So we would love to hear more about what you guys are thinking about This Is Us and moving forward. And if you liked this type of coverage, did you like us grouping it together? like this was this easier for you guys did you enjoy it into megasode format megasode that's what we're gonna call it i love it thank you guys so much for listening thanks catch us on itunes or your preferred podcast software our website dailyreview.com that's d-a-l-e-y review.com 
Facebook or Twitter or wherever you find us, please leave us a comment and a rating to let us know what you think of the show. Thanks for listening, pot people. Thanks for listening to my mom and dad. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. Just go home, folks. <laughs>